we're we're starting out uh, this evening with an old friend responding to an earlier call for uh, for a second Michael. So the one and only Big Papa. <laughs> That's right. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. I, uh, it only took a podcast to get a response from you. That's, yeah, it's been, well, you know, I guess we both live pretty busy lives. So we're both um, busy indeed. But I, I've been keeping up with you. So, you know, I thought I should be on this considering our history together. So now is the time I stop everything and focus in only on you. <laughs> I'll take the, the amount of time you give me and we can. We can discuss everything we need to. We'll see if if it, if we can make it uh, as long an episode as uh, Nathan, or maybe we'll do it one extra minute longer. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, this was over two hours, eh? So, yeah, I'm really taking the uh, taking a page out of uh, Rogan's book. That's right. I see the long long dialogue. So, well, I I do think I, I as I said before, I think it's an important uh, thing in today's world. That's all snippet. Um, pieces yeah. of information the long form thing is yeah. is the way forward well you shouldn't you just shouldn't have to give yourself a limit right and that's what that's what this is all about just having a conversation and sharing it that's right it's not scripted at all i have no agenda here except to get down deep <laughs> that's right to share your deepest thoughts and maybe you'll uh yeah maybe you'll um as always in conversations offline anyway dig deep into my own psyche and help me make sense of myself. Yeah, that's the plan. So I want to learn about what you're willing to share of the work that you do. And mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of that, maybe a little bit of the work that I do. Mm -hmm. But I, as we agreed offline, I guess, you know, the conversation uh, most pertinent for us to have is, I guess, around drugs. Mm hmm yeah, so yeah, I'm comfortable sharing that. At least I am in a, uh, I work in an agency that deals with um, addiction and mental health. Um, so that that's a lot of my day to day, and um, uh, I know that you, you know, without going into too much detail, we both deal with this and both see this, and you know the troubles that you know addiction can cause a lot of people and. We don't have to, you know, go into specific details about anything. Oh, yeah. But I think I think we, we both we, have. I both after, think we both. Go ahead. No, I did the thing again where I'm interrupting you. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, I just think that we both bring a lot to the table in, uh, you know, this discussion at least to, uh, you know, have just maybe some differing and some shared views to be able to uh, have a a good conversation i'm concerned that i'm hearing a little too much formality in your voice frankly it sounds like you, this is a curated response you're, you're almost responding on behalf of your agency <laughs> no definitely not i i don't think that they would uh it's not that they would disappear but they you know wouldn't want me coming on here talking about you know the industry secrets Anything. or whatever <laughs> yeah who <Yeah>. knows <laughs> <laughs> about, about how well their formula is working yeah no they uh so i'm definitely speaking on behalf of myself i'll yeah, say that ne much needless to say the disclaimers uh of anything <laughs> of anything shared in this conversation are strictly <laughs> strictly our own opinions and and you know they're obviously formulated from the work we do but uh yeah we um this, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun i can tell already <laughs> yeah we uh 
we usually have have some fun so that's the goal too <laughs> that's the main focus i mean right. I, i'm trying to think so we'll, we'll come back to this for a second but i mm-hmm. i want to think of the last time i saw you could it have been in toronto no there was you know one time that you did come back um to um you know our small area here <laughs> Um, it was during COVID and I remember we did, we were able to have a, a small visit here at my apartment. Yeah. I, I recall. Yeah. I didn't realize that was since, but I guess that was the last time yeah, we've been so together we, in person. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't like, I think that's the only time we've seen each other since COVID's happened. Other than well, that. Well, prior to COVID, um, it's fair to say the last time I saw you, I think must've been in Toronto. There's that time after the my father and I went to go see the who was at that time. And then we met up afterwards. I think that might've been it. That's what I'm thinking of. And we went to a nice Irish pub. That's right. Um, And you you were drinking tonic waters all night being responsible. So isn't that ironic? Yeah. Isn't that funny? And I find myself off the wagon again. um, Well, I think that was, I think the issue was, it was a school night for you. I had taken the time off because obviously I went to see the concert, but I think it was like, in the middle of the week so it was a responsible move regardless you but you were enjoying on that occasion at least yeah yeah definitely because like i said i was at a guy's had the the day or two off work and the most responsible or socially responsible drug supposedly alcohol (laughs) yeah well it says it has been for you know a century or more so Uh, off of the off the top i say that somewhat um facetiously because i agree i'm not convinced alcohol is the best uh the best one but it is the most no but but what you said was socially yeah so socially it is very much see i say i think it's even more socially acceptable than tobacco you know yeah these days these days Mm -hmm. i guess so i think marijuana is getting there but we can discuss that yeah we're gonna get we're we're gonna get into we're going to get into it in full detail, but uh, I, I like to circle around first and give anyone mm-hmm. anyone tuning in a bit of context to how we your, know know each other. Your, th- your three listeners, or which will be me, Nathan, <laughs> and someone else, and Greg, and Greg, yeah. <laughs> everyone who's been on the pod. So. Well, I'm I'm glad we may as well get that out of the way now too, because I feel as though one of the greatest criticisms, at least in the back of my mind, is that um, you know. Of course, I am starting out with the people most accessible to me, uh, but yeah. they all tend to be white men. Oh yeah. So this, uh, you know, well, Nathan's not. Nathan is not white. But. I know we made that joke. Uh, mm. We made that joke in his um, in our two hour plus mm-hmm. episode. I, but yeah, well, I guess you just it's just the the circle that you have close, and a lot of these people that you're talking to are people from your past, and where you grew up is not. Not a lot of diversity. For now. For now, you're right. And and I think it's important to start with the roots, and that's what people are hearing at the moment. But uh, but that's not where I intend the uh, the podcast to go. So I'll put that side note that's been – I've had a burning desire to get out there mm-hmm. off, off well, my chest. Well, yeah. You want to get more diversity and different ideas and different perspectives? Yeah, and I think that a large part of what would be most interesting, I think the reason why this – Paul Rex Crim Show podcast was born uh, was to try to give voice to the folks that you and I provide service to. Mm-hmm. And those, those are actually the ones with the most interesting stories. Oh yeah. 
then it, 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 to get to a point where you're not having people that share the same views as you, I'm sure that's what's been happening. Right. So it'd be nice to I'm so, get some people. I'm so glad you said that. You're right. Indeed. I'm searching for divergent perspectives. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I want. To have a little bit more in-depth discussion because we might disagree on a few things today, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot we do agree on. So it's more of just a, you know, a discussion as opposed to a bit more of a debate, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But, a conversation. You're, you're stealing the words out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you got to start somewhere. And uh, as you said, these are the people you have access to. And especially in this time of COVID, you're going to go to the people closest to you to, to help you out. So that's the ones within, good. within my bubble, so to speak. Well, yeah, not even physical bubble because you know, we don't see you anymore much, but yeah, your social bubble, I guess. Right. Well, we don't see much of anyone these days, but ironically, I've been feeling more connected with folks through this podcast project and by just reaching out more than I would have in our busy lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, once you started this, I've enjoyed listening to it just to hear some old voices and familiar friends. So yeah, you, you know, who's next after you, I'm going to be uh, reaching right out to who's that Decam. Oh, well, no, that's a, uh, yeah, he should be in on this one. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or just in general, uh, I'll have to decide on a topic for him, but yeah, well, but he's uh, another person that would, that, you know, his right down. She's going to share a lot of the same values and opinions, but he definitely a good, a good thinker. You mean the privileged white perspective? <laughs> yeah, just, just you know, yeah, pretty much. The male, uh, you know. Anyway, enough of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I I acknowledge it. It's part of me. I, it's not my fault. You know, it's part of um, who I am, and so you just kind of be reflective about it and and try to listen in to to those around you who are who have different opinions. So we've covered all That's that. Right. We've covered mm-hmm. all that stuff. So. Um, I wonder, uh, often these conversations have involved asking how we first met, and uh, I guess it's safe to say that would have been our very formative years of high school. Actually, well, we went to middle school together, too. Right on. I'm glad you brought that up. Indeed, we did. Yeah. So, um, ca- I don't know how close Catholic, we were. At a Catholic That's right. school. Yeah. Catholic middle school. I went to Catholic school. Um junior kindergarten to grade eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe we met up there in grade seven there, middle school. I don't know. I don't think we were extremely close. Cause if I recall correctly, you were in also the French immersion class. If I recall correctly. That's right. Yeah. Good memory. And uh, so we weren't in the same classes, but we definitely would have seen one another around. How, thinking even further back into grades, grade school, I guess that's where you and Greg would have met. If I'm that's not right. Cause he, yes. Cause he, uh, you know, cause you guys went to a school in an even smaller community right yeah. together, I believe. Yep. yep. Uh, and then he um, came to our, or, yeah, the other community, uh, I, don't know, I think it was grade five or six, which was the Catholic school that I attended. So I definitely knew him before. So I guess that's kind of how you and I would have met through him. So. And then we all got together and got into a band with each other. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was fun, you know, but we definitely weren't talented, <laughs> to say the least. Speak for yourself. 
Yeah, I will. Oh my god! <laughs> they had to bring me in to sing because your voice was too good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, I was too busy trying to figure out my four strings on the bass guitar. That's <laughs> right. The four notes, the open notes. Yeah. And you were, and you were, uh, if I recall correctly, you were perfectly mimicking a uh, a lead singer of taking back sunday what's his name oh the lead singer his name was adam zara right but, um, yeah i probably i think i was the microphone was a, the microphone yeah, the microphone throw. tricks yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, that's the music because i remember we covered them we definitely that was the music of the art of our generation i think i guess so Def- this is fun reminiscing i hadn't intended of going this way but it's fun to linger on that for a second mm-hmm yeah, yeah. And, and that was so that was in high school and that's sort of where i remember our um and that's where we, we started developing more of a friendship yeah so. although i do remember in early days as well um us hanging out down at a park um near near to where you were living your folks place there mm-hmm. i can't yeah. remember the, quite the circumstances oh but- i remember because i remember i think it was in high school but i i think i recall i went down and i saw you and you were volunteering right uh it was like a irish festival or something what and was, then i just what was i doing on. what on earth was i involved with you were the security to make sure people didn't walk in without a ticket and I just decided to help you with because I had nothing else to do. And but I received no because you got like, you know, in high school, you had to get 40 hours community service or whatever. Right. I think you were building some of that. And I just did it for out of the goodness of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it possible? I'm so glad you said security. But is that <laughs> did, did you uh, did you is that confabulated, perhaps? What could it have been um, something to do with uh helping people across the busy highway. Uh, no, I, I recall specifically because there's a, there's a little spot at that park. That's kind of an opening right? and people could try to sneak in there without tickets. And you and you and someone else over here who has, were, were stationed to sit there just wow. to make sure that nobody snuck in. Wow. Just there. Absolutely. <laughs> monitoring the situation. <laughs> that's right. Did I have my little police book out? And uh, yeah, you did your baton and <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it's funny. Some things never change. That's right. Well, started to, early. To be clear, I, I guess I don't know why I feel the need to clarify that I'm not a police officer for any. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've, I've said I've said Sorry. that before, but it could be misleading. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not something that you would enjoy. No, I wouldn't love the opportunity of taking down the bad guy. <laughs> I think it's to be fair. That's how it started out, but I I've developed a more acquired uh, and nuanced take uh, through studying crime instead of um, practicing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, um, that that's all useful to know for anyone uh, still tuned in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I am. I I am watching the the downloads, and I'll have you know it's it's interesting to see uh, the little bit of analytics that come in. I see, you know, there are people tuning in, um, mostly in Canada, some in different states, um, which is cool, and and some because of uh, a friend that I chatted with in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see it spreading a little bit slowly but surely, but. You you are one of the very first um, an exclusive bunch, I guess. Well, I guess I say that to all my guests, but you're one of the few who have had 
the ability to listen to prior episodes and to sort of comment and be self-referential in that way. That's right. Yeah, I've listened to, I think I've listened to all of them, at least a bit of it. I don't know if I finished it all of them, but. That's okay. It doesn't, doesn't phase me at all. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> well, you know, it's at just. At least I'm tuning in. You know? Yeah, at least you're, you're, you're contributing to the early day uh, count. Mm-hmm. One, one day, the thing that will probably be my demise or something that I st- <laughs> stress over too much, you know, so yeah. that number, but whatever. For now, mm-hmm. uh, it's just about good conversation. That's right. So, um, yeah, the band, um, high school days, and then I think football was in there too. Tori was on an earlier. Yeah, episode. I talked. I heard about that. I'm surprised you brought that up. As you like, you your football career was just a blip on the radar. You know, you. <laughs> I recall you not really enjoying it, but kind of doing it just because you felt like you had to. Yeah, and, I uh, I, re- I remember a. Um, I guess I can say the name Perkins uh, early on in the career, in my high school career, if you will, like before I'd even got into grade nine was almost recruiting, um, you know, for the, for the, uh, for the high school team that, that was the football team at that time. And I did, I felt, I felt compelled in a way to, um, I don't know. It seemed like the thing that was required of me, you know, being a big fella, I was a big, mm-hmm. we're both big lads, mm-hmm. uh, which we can, you know, we can acknowledge or whatever. We're not looking, <laughs> we're, we're not looking at each other, but uh, I can say you're, you're handsome, especially just to listen to, um, but I haven't la- feasted my eyes on you in a while, but anyway, we're, we're both, you know, two, uh, two big fellas. And, uh, and in high, high school, we were, you know, built to to play football i guess so i was following the script mm-hmm. but yeah you, there was obvious you, you stuck with it though and you were yeah that's the thing i i enjoyed sports i was actually very athletic um in high school but uh i don't know why i played football because i didn't really like it either and i wasn't good at it by any means but it was one of those things too that you know like as you said like i was i was tall and athletic so they kind of it felt like i was supposed to play that's kind of the the pressure but and allow me yeah. to say, quite quite slender and, and athletic, indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, in I, high school, you, I was you were also sure. you're avid uh, on the rowing team as well. Yeah, that was my main sport. I, my favorite sport was I definitely liked to play basketball. It was kind of a passion, but rowing took up a lot of my time because it was I, very just the way that it worked at the school we went to. Is it was just, uh, yeah, two days. You know, we're working out twice a day, like 360 days a year. It was it was insane. It took up my entire high school career. Really. And then what happened? <laughs> I burnt out from it early, and then uh, went away to university and <laughs> started to enjoy the fruits of life. And then back to the conversation on drugs. <laughs> no, I'm I'm partly being facetious, but that's all part of our going to school and experience. And I think I thought to myself preparing for this chat with you, like how uh, comfortable I am disclosing, you know, what it is. Um, I mean, one of the conversations in Nathan and, and my chats was about alluded to drugs and, and also sexual escapades, <laughs> which, uh. which, uh, which is, you know, sensitive and, personal and you know I, I i'm balancing the idea of wanting to be my true sort of authentic self um with also you know being um 
realistic of keeping my private life private. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but needless to say, I went to school in the Netherlands and, uh, and as I said, and, you know, I'm well acquainted with um, Amsterdam nightlife and um, not that. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know why I'm going on this tangent, but it, it's painting. That's painting a really misguided picture of, of my true um, past. And uh, no, yeah. anyway, yeah. so I'm rambling. It's fine. You're trying to find the words once again to try to share, but not share too much. Yeah. I like talking around the subject and, and by virtue of that, people will get to know the, the real me and, and uh and those who I'm connecting with, like you. That's right, man. So um, back, we'll point the, I'm trying to disarm you so I don't get those. Uh, I want that candid response now, the curated <laughs> one from your, that, that you're. From the beginning. Yeah, that your uh, manager, you know, has proofed for you. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, my manager wrote a script. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um yeah, and then I guess we you were in you went to school in in Ottawa as well, I think. I did not know. No, you were actually no. I don't mistaken, sure I was, went to school. No, no, yeah. but I, now that I'm thinking, you're closer now to where I'm closer now to where you went to school. Uh, what kind? I went to school like in Sudbury, Ontario. Oh, I'm confused. Then I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, right I'm up, but kind of north. So yeah, so right in the thick of it, actually. In the thick of what? In the thick of nature, um, according kind of according That's... to a conversation I was having with a colleague of mine, who's like soon to retire, and like was telling me how keen they are to move to Sudbury, uh, and how many lakes there are. In- oh yeah, it's it, yeah. There's definitely a lot of pros if you like nature. There's a lot of there's a lot there, but um, due to the it's a large mining town, and uh, so there's a lot of just like rocks and. Yeah, it's 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 okay. I you know I had a fine time where during my university years. Sure. Well, do you will you share what you studied, or you're not comfortable? Uh... Oh, I don't mind. Well, that's uh, my university years were different. When I went to school, I I started undeclared, <laughs> I guess, right. and then it moved to sociology. Really, right. So. Right. Okay. And so that's kind of what we're talking about now, anyway. Yeah, it's the same type of vein. Right. So, my, my my studies kind of led to my career. Makes me wonder, uh, like in my case, being security down at the park, like how much of our how much of our experience is preordained versus uh, you know chosen by us. Well, it's a bit of both for sure. Yeah. Well, I feel like I was a bit presumptuous now, assuming that you went. I knew where you were going to school. I, you think I, I went to school in like Western Ontario or something? I, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Originally I was thinking Ottawa and that's kind of egocentric because that's where I went. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, a lot of people we know did, but I was, I did not attend. I visited a few times. You might remember sometimes I came down, but no. I didn't. Maybe that's so. why the memory is so hazy. All the, uh, all the pubs and uh, outings, <laughs> right. all the extracurriculars. Yeah. So that was, you know, what that was, I guess, in our retired uh, expert band, <laughs> you know, being yeah, retired yeah, yeah. from the band, ex band yep. mates. So, what's your situation looking like now? Um, are you still in the same place uh, that I saw you last? Um, yes. And you're living um, with your with your partner. Yeah. Well, we got a we have a house 
So that's an exciting change, but that's we're in the process of renovating. Oh my so, God. Congratulations. But we still have the apartment. So, so you're crashing in the, or you're staying in the apartment now while, while it's underway. Yeah. Well, that's end of April should be, should be good to go right on exciting times. That's huge. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you're, you. You're part of this huge uh, movement. Uh, and that's a whole other topic. Um, maybe we oh, should hit that note for a second. Just like talk about real estate or? Well, no, just the, the sort of what, what led you to the decision. Cause there's a lot of people um, obviously fleeing the cities right now in the midst of the pandemic. And so help, yeah, just help me understand your decision-making. So, well, I can kind of explain the process of buying a house. So the market everywhere, I'm sure in Ontario is ridiculous right now. We're at a point where, People are posting houses and people are bidding, you know, ten thousand to a hundred thousand dollars over just to get them. We ourselves got outbid on one place, actually in the small community where you grew up. We almost got a house there, but got outbid. Oh, um, yeah, as uh, yeah, that was listed for two hundred thousand. We offered like two forty, and they sold for two sixty five. Wow. Yeah, and I think we're noticing just with the pandemic is a lot of people in the bigger cities are able to work from home. Mm-hmm. So they're moving into, like they're selling their houses in the uh, larger communities, you know, making obviously... In, in the urban centers are basically... Yeah, like in wherever, Ottawa, Toronto, like the bigger, yeah, the big cities are selling, selling houses there, making, you know, millions for their house mm-hmm. and then coming to these smaller communities and buying houses that you know are you know would sell for millions in the big cities but obviously around around here they're much cheaper so they're, they're being overvalued a little bit they are but it's just getting and the way that that we looked at it when we were looking at houses is we've been looking for a while and then it, it's just getting worse and worse mm-hmm. so our outlook was you know if we keep waiting you know maybe eventually it's going to even out but maybe not mm-hmm. yeah i hear you, know, you. So. no I, I hear you. you're you're with uh, a, a great many you know I, I, don't, I don't know if majority is the right term but a, a many many you know there, there's an evident trend that's happening uh, and it's a really interesting thing to be observing i'm leasing um and only just took advantage of the leasing market in Toronto, which was great, but I leveled up at a re- hugely reduced uh, rent that I wouldn't have been able to access had people not been fleeing the city. And it's just mm-hmm. a really, really interesting time. And I also to note, my older brother is in the mortgage business um, mm-hmm. and is just off the phone busy like to talk to i can imagine for two he's minutes. doing well right now well he's stressed <laughs> to the hilt um with business just being you know booming so mm-hmm. it's a really interesting observation from a sociological view um but you know with that comes uh, all sorts of other implications as you know and uh, the economy is is one and Anyway, I, I'm circling yeah. back to drugs, uh, which is all part of sort of part of it in a way. I don't know how we'll make the link, but uh, I'll tie it in. We'll tie it in some way. Yeah. So the house is in the end. Um, what is the address? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in it's in the same town where I currently live. Not too far. It's a few blocks away. So. Okay, so it's in in the city and. Uh, 
in the small city that you're in and mm-hmm. um, city or town, I guess, whatever, whatever. The yeah. Way. I think, it, I think it's a city. Yeah. Like, it barely. Is. Officially barely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's home. It's home. Um, and it feels like it, you know, when I come back, especially now it's really cherished uh, the precautions I've got to go through to travel. Um, just oh, yeah, at I can home. imagine now. Yeah. But I, I guess our risk appetite in the work that we do is probably a bit higher. I was chatting with Nathan about that in nursing yeah. and obviously my partner's a nurse. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting how different. Same with mine. Yeah. Right. Oh, also. Yeah. A okay. nurse as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Exciting. It's mm-hmm. uh, God. Do they know how to party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They do. They they administer the the drugs and they know the good ones and uh, <laughs> and they yeah. they know how to take care and uh, and be well. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's opened up. You know, me moving away um, abroad and then coming back. You know, to uh, to a whole community of nurses was yeah. That's pretty much yeah. Welcome it's, surprise. You you hang yep. out almost exclusively with nurses. I think too. Right, well, for a while we were there just because everyone was in school around here mm-hmm. and everyone that we associated with was in the nursing program. So it kind of just worked out that way. Yeah. And now I'm finding myself hanging out with uh, a lot of Nats uh, friends who are nurses and yeah. I'm at different uh, events, all with nurses. God love mm-hmm. her. She actually just uh, broke her arm pretty severely at a, at a little bonfire situation. And so we've been, we were in and out of the hospital. It was an emergent she had to have surgery actually on her arm. God love her. When? Like re- like fast week or so? Within the last uh, 10 days. And she's was just back at the fracture clinic and she's recovering well. Um, but it's been an interesting experience for yours truly. Uh, mm-hmm. spe- speaking of nursing, I've sort of um, had to grow accustomed to being, you know, giving care. And in the short sure. time, her and I joke about, uh, you know, the caregiver burnout that, that, that is real. Yeah, and also uh, relevant to the work that you and I do, I, I guess, in sort of full burnout. Oh, that's another conversation too. Case, case management, uh, case management roles. You know, yeah, it does become quite uh, toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, self care is important, right? How do you um, maybe you want to elaborate on on that? Uh, since we're hitting that note, what's it like uh, for you at the moment? What's your caseload been like? Um, since the pandemic uh, definitely i've seen an increase um i think that actually there's there's evidence um in our the small community here we're seeing a huge increase in overdoses by i don't know how if that's province-wide i'm not sure I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised um because just the pandemic causes a lot of stress like people are out of work mm-hmm. um and people are in their houses more not doing as much and uh that'll definitely lead to more drug use so we're definitely seeing an uptick in people that need support so so is your are you seeing noticeable numbers on your own caseload um increasing yeah. and i think i'm not i can't speak for everybody that i work around because i don't know for sure but there's definitely an increase in just from my own perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's 
so interesting. I'm glad to be chatting with a, an inside perspective such as yours on this topic, because offline, I was having conversations with uh, one of our friends' um, family. Uh, we were doing like a virtual family chat that I was lucky to jump in on close friends of the family. And, mm -hmm. but these folks in particular were remarking on, I guess, the recent opening of a methadone clinic in the small town where you're living. Which It was news to me and it was the topic of some discussion, um, um, you know, among, uh, well, it was an important discussion and, and a, uh, What's the right word? I don't want to say controversial one, but certainly a polarizing one. People mm -hmm. have very different opinions. Um, and that's kind of how this show started out. I mean, it started with chatting with my mom about gay rights and that sort of queer rights and that sort of thing. And like mm -hmm. someone is close to me and yet so far in perspective. And so it's that's nice, right. it's nice to chat with someone like you who has a good sense of the the need for methadone clinics um maybe you can shed a bit of light on your opinion like i'm i'm assuming that you see it as a as a common good um yeah i think that um <laughs> uh i'm trying to think of how i can describe this here i think that there's definitely different ways for people to heal i guess or to get through and opiates right now is just uh, probably are the biggest problem yeah. Um, when it comes to specific substances and I think, you know, abstinence based practices are not always, they're not for everybody. Would you agree that there's sort of two camps? Oh, there's two, sort of well, yeah, two, well, do you mean camps as in people who kind of stand their ground on like effectiveness? Uh, two approaches mm -hmm. to sort of, yeah. Um, yeah. What are the approaches? Yeah. So abstinence based and then, um, harm reduction. Right are the are the two, and in in my opinion, to, you need to be able to um, provide both of those services depending on the client. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty, uh, it, it's it's really the client's needs, right? That's kind of what we work with, and I think it's pretty easy to see because some clients don't want to stop using, and then and really they don't have to. And what is the most driving factor in your experience and in, in, in seeing someone change? If there's one thing that you could drill it down to, what do you think is the most important aspect of um, see, seeing someone rehabilitate, so to speak? Motivation, desire. Because They have to want it. Yeah, because you can't, and that's where, that's where this discussion, I think, is going to lead. You, you cannot have pr uh, pressure from somebody else or something else and, and rehabilitate i believe and what i mean by that is you can't have pressure from the police pressure from a jail from you know probation and parole those types of things that if you if the clients do not want to do it they're not then they're not going to so that's what that's what we see when and i have that you know we get referred clients like that and you try to work with them but there's just no desire no plan but it's so, you know, to play devil's advocate, because I agree with you. I think we're talking, we're, I'm talking to the same, I'm talking to myself in a lot of ways okay. in this conversation or a reflection of me. Um, that sounds kind of egocentric now that I think about it, but we're, I'm speaking with someone of, com, you know, who, who we share a lot Similar of common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. And I like that 
you pointed out the structural things in place that need to be there because you're in surely no change is going to happen if this person doesn't want it. Mm -hmm. And yet if they don't make a change, I mean, look at the chaos, try to just shed a bit of light or give us a bit of color as to the issues that some of your clients face when they're not, you know, being accountable or, um, you know, when they, when they don't want to uh, work on their addiction, so to speak, you know, what happens to them? Uh, a lot of times we see a lot of, um, you know, intervention from the law, right? Um, or also, de- you know, deterioration of mental health. Um, and, so, a lot- and, and what and the impact that they have on others, um, you know, like there almost needs to be a forced intervention at, at a certain point. The, the question is, where is that point? Maybe. Well, that's where. You know, I, I don't know how I stand on that for sure because everybody has should be autonomous to make their own decisions in a yeah. sense. If somebody wants to use substances as opposed to have close relationships, that's their right to do so. Yeah. Um, so intervention, you know, intervention can work in a sense that if you have people around you that are close to you expressing concern that could be motive that that could provide the motivation that somebody needs. So there's definitely room for that, but the forced treatment, I guess, things like that, or it's just, it's not effective. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to paint a picture of just the, the chaos that I see, in, you know, in, in an urban environment in Toronto, maybe mm-hmm. it's more, it's, it's even more concentrated. I, you know, I work if, you know, if, if, context it means anything i work in the east end of toronto which is a little bit more uh shady you know it's been historically entrenched with you know all sorts of um disenfranchisement and and socioeconomic issues Mm -hmm. to make a long story short you know crystal meth fentanyl now it's like it's a these opiates are wreaking havoc on some of the most vulnerable people and it's happening to it seems like more and more folks and untreated it just leads to as a sociologist uh, with a background i guess you might be familiar with durkheim's enemy theory yeah and i mean you just see the chaos i mean break-ins um yeah, that's Process, robberies, violence, trauma upon trauma, victimization. It just yeah. is, it just carries on and breeds. Yeah. Addiction, there's definitely a correlation with um, poor behavior, I guess, or I don't know if I want to say that necessarily, but they, there's, I guess the biggest thing is, is this mental health that you're seeing as well, right? Um, and that's why there's an amalgamation for a lot of agencies because they're saying that that's in the same vein right addiction and mental health so you know if these people if these clients of yours are not using would they still be finding chaos in other ways just because of um mental health issues maybe not maybe some well in in a large part not not entirely i mean but in a large part there's a lot of overlap i mean my clients are your clients and uh, they're the we're, same, huh? we're basically talking about folks who are struggling in this sort of lower um, echelons of the socioeconomic stratosphere, however you want to put it. They're just folks who are 
you know, doing the best they can with what they've got and it's not much. And, um, and they're, you know, frankly struggling more than ever. Mm-hmm. And here's where something, I guess this is, I'm not hundred percent sold on where I stand on this, but this is worth a discussion, but just the, you know, cause I know in some European countries that they do this and having like a, a legalization of all drugs mm-hmm. and, um, and the reason why I, I have some support for this is if you, if they stop treating addiction, like a judicial issue and they start treating it like a mental health issue, you know, would we see, would we see change, you know, yeah. because, because I know you want to deter people from doing it, but I, I have a firm belief that people are going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. we need to try our best to try to help as opposed to locking people up for, you know, something that we could try to assist with. Yeah. I mean, for arguably something that grows out of the ground, um, you know, I think of the cognitive dissidence that I experienced uh, early on in my career, seeing, for example, people uh, prosecuted for possession of cannabis for mm-hmm. as a recent page out of our history book, you know, which has suddenly turned a, a chapter mm-hmm. and uh, we can look back and just see how silly it seems uh, in hindsight. Um, but to give clarity to your point, um, I, I'm not sure how many countries have necessarily legalized it mm-hmm. or even re- regulated it, but certainly there seems to be a real push for, decriminalization yeah that's the word that's a better word yeah and and portugal would be a great example i I think uruguay would be another good example and we're seeing a lot of um interesting research on the topic of psychedelics which is likely going you know leading to further uh a further trend it would seem in Mm -hmm. decriminalization Mm -hmm. yeah there's yeah, there's definitely some, they're showing benefits to some substances, but even, you know, the way I look at it is even the, the uh, substances that have no, I don't know what the word is. It's not that they have no benefit because obviously people use for a reason, right. But there's no you know physical assistance like psychedelics or whatever, but even those substances, we, um, if you, you can't, I don't think you can just pick and choose what substances you should make legal and others. I, I just don't think that's helpful. I agree. And from a harm reduction approach, I mean, the question is, you know, how do we reduce the harm? It's so evident in my mind from from a criminology lens that you're going to save money. It's just fiscally responsible. If nothing else. If nothing else, it's it's fiscally you're going to save money on the back end by just providing treatment and resources to those who want to get clean to make it easy for them. Because forcing them and sort of playing this game of, of you know, trying, I mean, the economics of the black market and, and the cat, cat and mouse game is, is, um, is just not sustainable. No. Well, that's the one argument against this whole thing is, you know, there's always going to be like a, you know, whatever you want, a black market for this and legalizing that would be, you know would promote that, I guess, is an argument that you would hear Like these people who are breaking the law would, I don't know, well, I continue mean, to break the law, but that's where, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to think about. Like what, 
because right now, even with marijuana, I have to, you might know better than I, but is, I don't think you're allowed to sell it still. Right. It's sure. And it's regulated highly. And you're right. It's a good point. So, you know, it makes me think of, uh, again, I think it was Durkheim who talked about the society of saints. You know, even if, if, even if you were in heaven and it was just saints around, there's still going to be the most menial of sins interpreted as a transgression. So it's all relative and there'll always be some deviation from the norm. I guess I'm, I'm wigging out here on like crime and sociology theory, but that's what um, the show is. That's good. I guess in a way it is, it's making it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that covers that. Um, While there's so many directions we can go in this, uh, it's it's such a good conversation that needs Mm -hmm. to be happening with, uh, with so many of our friends and family and people that are close to us. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I find that, I don't think like a lot of people, especially close to us, they, they would agree with a lot of the things we have to say, but a lot of people are very skeptical to make uh, quote unquote harder drugs legal because people are scared of them. Right. But, we're a, not, but let's be clear. We're not talking about making them legal. Sorry. Just, I'm using the wrong just, word. Decriminalized. But we just don't want to be locking people into cages on account of having drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm, I definitely have, yeah, I'm using the wrong words, but yeah, I just, I, I don't think people, cause it's not, it's not helping. Right. Cause if, if you get a provincial sentence, which is less than two years, right. Right. Then there's in these provincial jails from what I understand is not, there's not like nothing to assist with these prisoners, yeah. I guess. Yeah. You, you're you you're to, describing, you're describing, um, what's referred to as a remand population. And mm-hmm. you see that, you see that often in, uh, in like transnationally. I mean, now, now we're in my, this is my, this is my bread and butter. Penology. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, because they're not sentenced, they, there's no sort of duty of care. It would seem. Well, the, and, and I, and pe- the people that we see come from that, that background, the, um, the recidivism rate is, you know, through the roof. That's the problem is that, you know, it's a combination of people who are either have been sentenced or awaiting sentence or both or sentenced. And, you know, it's just, it's a cyclical issue. Yeah. It's cyclical. Mm -hmm. From what I understand in the federal penitentiaries, there might be a bit more, you know, assistance, maybe some things you could do, but, uh, even so what's once again you're forcing it's coercive exactly that's the problem but i do want to just highlight another point that comes to mind uh, that describes you know i i wonder is the system problematic the way we we are describing it like and it's faulty and it's not working the way it's intended or more concerningly is it working exactly as it's designed (laughs) as it's intended and it is it unfortunately an economy? And this is I'm borrowing now the, a great thinker who I actually met while I was studying. He was Norwegian. So to your point about Scandinavian countries, Nils Christie, who is a fantastic criminologist, and um, he made this this art this question. He said, you know, it's crime control as industry. You know, is this just uh, something that we're doing to to create jobs and? Um, yeah. And that's of concern. I haven't, yeah, I haven't given that to be honest, too much thought. Um, 
I, the way that I originally would look at it is I think that it's just, there's a certain way that, you know, like the higher ups believe the outcomes will be. And it's, I've, it's just not working. That's the way that I always kind of looked at it. But your point does make sense that, you know, that they're kind of looking at this from an economic point of view. But the only issue with that is like in the, in the U S it makes a bit more sense because they have privatized jails. Like we don't have that. Right here. And I do, I do believe deep down, I mean, we're, you and I are in these roles and I mean, your job wouldn't be immune to that theory as well. I mean, the whole ten, all the tentacles that would reach out from the, the, that, that gross looking machine that I'm alluding to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is, it is capitalistic and it's, you know, opportunistic. Um, I think that actually it's more likely it's just incompetence and and poor governance and bureaucracy that gets in the yeah. way. I just think that they're not like, they don't understand the lawmakers or whatever. Don't understand the clientele that they're trying to suppress or whatever. So for, for me, it seems like this ever, this ever, um, ongoing issue of that is a discrepancy between policy and practice you know the high yeah. don't seem to know what the people on the ground are doing and vice versa mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's yeah once again what what i don't know what exactly what the answer is but it would definitely be good to see some reform in the you know, especially the criminal system when it comes to this, I think. Well, this is all, you know, part and parcel to the conversation. And I think the first step is having these discussions because most people I find these days just don't want to offend anyone at dinner parties and that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. But I don't, I really don't think that the thoughts that we are, are conveying here are that, you know, outlandish. I think a lot of people share these opinions. I guess so, but I, I don't know. I mean, am I, am I in my own bubble? I mean, I don't think that my brother who would probably categorize himself as more conservative on many issues Mm -hmm. more so than I would, would agree. I mean, he often uh, goats me into, you know, these heated sort of thoughts or conversations when he says just lock him up and throw away the key i think he's doing that to try to get under it. i don't know if he actually believes that i hope not i i don't know i don't know i don't know mike i i think that deep down you know we get we get caught into these grooves and understanding of the world and someone like my brother who has multiple houses and whatnot um, who's done quite well you know he doesn't have the firsthand experience just with seeing the issues that you and I are discussing, which are frankly invisible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see what you mean. Like he, yeah, but yeah, your, your brother is a unique fellow as well, but yeah, I think there's definitely, there's definitely people who share our opinion and a lot of people who don't, that's where, that's why this, these conversations exist, but mm-hmm. we are on the same side. So so without a question where we agree that decriminalization de- is probably the way forward. I think that we're going to see more and more of it yeah. too. Um, it started with marijuana. Like, could you imagine even like telling somebody that marijuana would be decriminalized, you know, 30 years ago? Well, imagine folks in custody right now, like spending yeah. the rest of their life in custody. <laughs> I thought about in that too. Yeah. The States. Yeah. Imagine that you go to the, you go to jail in the seventies as a young man for having some pot. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine that. And and you read now on the outside that it's now legal. Yeah. Like, it's just baffling, you know? Yeah. But you broke the law during that time. And yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess so. I, I don't know. I mean, but that's, you know, I know, I'm, I'm just saying that's what the, that's what they're would be course. told. I like and, it. The de- devil's advocate. Well, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, you got to look at you know, why, but uh, yeah, a lot of, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Like that. Uh, well, if we look even further back to, you can look at this with alcohol, you know, right. The, the prohibition era as well. Yes. And uh, you know, people during that time, if you told them that alcohol was going to be legal, they probably would have not believed you. Mm-hmm. but you know we're seeing progression as you said there's a lot of studies with psychedelics i think that's the next uh, that's the next thing we're going to see and a, lo- a lot of the arguments we're seeing are if it's natural you know a lot of and that's an argument that a lot of people agree with i guess oh, it, it's like this term i'm hearing about california sobriety yeah the, the california like demi sobriety. lovato say that on joe rogan's <laughs> podcast recently <laughs> like yeah I, guess I think so. she did. Was... She said she's a yeah, California uh, sober, which means she, I think, just smokes weed, smokes cannabis. I guess whatever the hell that means. But it it is it is uh, an interesting differential to 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 say you know substances that grow to the ground seem relatively safer than the you know carfentanil that I'm hearing about and these synthetics. Yeah, there's definitely an argument for that, but at the same time. What I where I come in at the other side of this a little bit is I think people often say this as an excuse, but there's definitely a lot of negatives to abusing. I guess abusing anything, but even using in excess these substances. You know, and, and what I what I mean by that, you know, is I believe you know people think, don't think you can be addicted to cannabis or psychedelics, but. Um, I think I disagree. You know, you can, if you abuse anything, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. I'm so glad you went there because I I thought of that earlier. Um, You know, so it's important to highlight and actually working with folks who are struggling with addiction has really taught me a lot more of about my own self. And um, really what we're talking about is compulsions here and Mm -hmm. uh, habitual, you know, things that we do behaviors, whether it's substances or not. Um, and we all seem to have them and actually addiction drugs aside is I think rampant when you look at technology, when you look at yeah, well, relationships. It's, more, it's just like serotonin in the brain is what we're trying to achieve, trying to achieve that happy feeling and drugs can do that, but so can a lot of other things. And so I think a lot, I, I don't know if it's a human, the natural human reaction, but we, I want to abuse serotonin almost. So at the, at the end of the day, it comes down to chemicals. It seems. Mm-hmm. It's just for that. Yeah. Those, how our brain reacts and, um, yeah, we get that through anything through food, through, you know, exercise if you do, but I was in everyone. They said this, everyone says it here this whole time, but everything in moderation is, is necessary. Yeah. One of the things that I've also learned, uh, in my short career thus far it's 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 interesting because if you really sit down instead of taking a didactic approach and trying to instruct someone how you know what they need to do to change and you listen to them i think what's your opinion on this i mean my experience is that if they'll actually say you know 
drugs are not the problem. Drugs are the solution. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, even yeah, people who are a lot of people, I think, are have that insight. Is there? That's where I, you know, mental health and addiction and are a combination, right? I I have a hard time believing that you can have um, addiction without some underlying mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be severe, but definitely dealing with, you know, suppressing some sort of negative emotion. Um, but I believe, because I, you know, in my opinion, I believe that, it, you know, addiction can often start off as fun. You know, obviously pe- we, people use substances because it makes you feel good. You know, we use people, you know, people use for a reason, but then it gets, you know, when you see that severe addiction is when people aren't even enjoying it anymore. Mm-hmm. And you it know, people and, habitual and it's, and it's like the, the numbing, you know, the trying to not feel negative emotions. So that's where, I think that's where you can actually look at like use versus abuse of substances. If you're using substances for happy experiences, that's positive. Well, you know, it's more encourageable. And usually if people are doing that, it's, you know, it's occasional, but it's the people that if they're using substances for, for negative feelings, that's when we start seeing um, abuse of the substances. So when, when it's a coping strategy. Yeah. Yeah. What is what is the difference in your mind between the terms mental health and mental illness or disorder? Um, I, I don't I don't think there's a difference in the two. Really, there, there's just, it's just a different way to explain it. I guess a disorder would be something specific. If you say this, you know, there's a mental d- disorder. You usually follow up with a specific disorder that you're thinking of. And mental health is a bit more broad, I guess. See, I, I see it a little differently. Like philosophically, I think that we're in the habit and maybe I'm wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but I'd like to suggest that maybe um, we're in the habit of referring to problems in terms of health, like wishing them that they were better. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what you and I are talking about is mental illness, I think. Mm-hmm being unwell yes and um but but there's this tendency and i i see it also in my line of work and language is so powerful um and they have it so wrong i find that the messaging that they have uh that i've seen you know within the justice system for example they talk about stopping hate Mm -hmm. you know and it's like this double negative um does not lend itself to the idea of love for example Mm You know, it's it, and so. I see. On the flip side of that, it sounds like talking about mental health, like for someone who has schizophrenia or a major mood disorder, or you know, any major mental illness. um, Clearly, the goal is health. Mm -hmm. But but you know what? uh, Help me unpack those two terms and and the way that you use them. So mental health, mental health and mental illness is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So, well, mental health is just because you can have, you can have um, positive mental health, right? Mm -hmm. So mental health is, I think just all encompassing and just how our, you know, our brain is functioning and how it's making us feel. It's no different than saying, you know, your physical health, right. Mm -hmm. Or is it, or physical illness, right? So illness always would, um, promote um negative like things are not going well 
something that needs to be changed but people you know can can have positive mental health and be doing well within their mental health um and you can promote positive mental health so i guess that's the way that i would look at it is it's just yeah help mental health is all encompassing and mental illness would be something that is you know trying to be corrected in some way right 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 yeah that makes sense i feel like we um got sidetracked um but we, we're on an interesting and important topic here. But I wonder if this might be an important time to take a quick bathroom break, or rather, if you'll permit me to just uh, take a two-second break. Yeah, that's fine. Are you? Do you? Are, how are you doing? You? You good? Or yeah, I'm good. All right, give me two seconds, and I'll be right back. Sounds we'll good. just keep keep rolling. Sounds good. Hey, handsome, you're back. Are you gonna cut some of this out? I think so. I, I think uh, if anyone's listening, I guess what's the point? No one's listening anyway. It seems. Oh, is this live? Uh, yeah, it's still we're still running, but I will I will cut out uh, the snippet of um, yeah. Anyway, whatever, just carry on. Sure, we'll carry on, and uh, you know, it's not live streamed. Though. Like you're gonna you edit this and stuff, right? That's right. Yeah, you're right. It's not live streamed. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I'm learning um, on the topic of the podcast. Um, I'm figuring it out as I go, and it's getting better each time. But I am surprised to learn that sort of the the remote part, you know, chatting with people. I mean, it's exciting because I. Now here's another topic that you can shed some light on. But I'm I'm quite interested in sourcing people. I mean, not just our clients who who struggle with addiction, but anyone at the fringe of society, more or less. And the internet is wide open to all sorts of uh, subcultures. It's just the the end there's no end so um so in that sense doing remote interviews is actually really cool because i can i could chat with almost anyone Um, anyone who wants to come on but the kicker is that it's not the same as being in person where there's lag and you almost the the post-production requires more attention than uh, than it would if we were in the same room and you're just capturing two people having a chat Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit more editing, I'm sure. So uh, in a future episode, I keep saying I'm putting it out into the ether. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll come to me. Um, I heard a little bit of back there, background noise or. It's just a car driving by. Feedback. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. I was thinking of doing it with my window open to give some of the sounds of the city where I am. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was a specific. It was a loud car. It was revving its engine. So, oh well, it is Friday night. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but the point that I'm trying to make on a side topic is, I can't wait to get someone from the incel uh, subreddit to agree to come yeah, on. Yeah, I heard here. you that you talked about that on one with Tori. Yeah, I think it's, and that's where I think the idea was born out of, and I've been talking about it ever since. I think it would be so cool. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think just more differing topics that you can have is good. But I, I remember when you were when you were talking on that, it's definitely yeah, I found that quite interesting. Just your outlook on on that and things. How so? Well, just because you I don't, you kind of <laughs> the way that you explained it, you were kind of beating around it a bit. But you're trying to to say like obviously you don't have share the same you know misogynistic views that they do, but you at different points in your life have maybe been in you know been an incel in some respects yeah, not basically right? and, i mean and I, a lot of, well a lot of i think i think a lot of people can be involuntarily celibate at different times of their life yeah especially men 
right? And that doesn't mean that it's a, a lifestyle. But I guess it's different if it's like, I don't know. It's a, that's a, an interesting topic. But I, but when you said that, it made sense because like we've all we've all been there in a sense. But it's when you start blaming other people. Yeah, it's when you know, I, it's other saying it's other people's responsibility. Right. You know, it's uh, you know, it's not. There's obviously you know, things that you can change to try to make yourself more appealing or whatever. See, it all comes down. It, it, it comes down to this. This uh, essentially the debate of structure and agency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how much personal autonomy and agency has some does someone enjoy versus uh, the the social structures or the environmental situation that they find themselves and and one of the common themes i think i i wonder if you'll agree but i've noticed in my work one of the greatest themes in people who get trapped in sort of the the mental health or justice systems maybe i'll put maybe i'll put the forensic and mental health aside because that's a bit different that arguably is there to help provide care for those who who really need it but mm-hmm. the the idea of correcting people into conformity and social uh socially acceptable you know sort of rehabilitation in a coercive way as done through criminal justice mm-hmm. and, and whatnot is um counterintuitive i've lost my train of thought oh yeah the, the point being that the one common theme i see among many of them most of them is that they have this external locus of behavioral control where they say this is not my fault mm-hmm. i'm a vi- i'm a victim uh yes like uh yeah so shifting blame, having no accountability. Well, that's where uh, accountability. If, if I don't know if you're familiar with like the stages of change, I am. Yeah. So, you know, accountability is the like it's the goal, right? That's how you achieve change is by being accountable for your actions and then being able to change them. It's when you just run run us through what what we're talking about for anyone that isn't familiar what is uh, the stages of change yeah i don't have it right in front of me but if you, you can help me with this i'm sure but there's there's definitely there's i think like five steps and they it starts with um pre-contemplative, pre, pre-contemplative which is essentially denying that there's a problem right, right. saying yeah. that it's that's where you see the um the shifting blame and blaming other people saying i don't need to do anything other people have the problem and then it moves to Content. contemplative, right? Which right. is, you know, start to at least entertain the idea, but still, you know, showing signs of, um, uh, you know, lack of accountability or for lack of better words. And then, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're all called. Is it preparation, planning. Yeah, and then maintenance. Action. Yeah. And I don't action know exactly plan. all the words, but essentially it's just a, it's, it's, it, it just indicates a, you know, a spectrum of, you know, people moving along and accepting accountability and then, and then achieving change for things that are going wrong in their life. And then, and then maintaining it um, or not. Or not. And then, because that's, you can, you know, slip back and have, you know, go back on the spectrum, I guess, of where you believe you're at. But because that's, that's the whole, you know, as we discussed earlier, that's the motivation. That's part of it. Right. I guess when you asked me, what uh, like the main factor in seeing people change is, you know, accountability has to be included in that because when people like this goes for anybody, this goes for us too. When we, when we were blaming other people for our problems, you know, we can't change what other people do. We can only change our perspective of it or change what we do about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's something that I try to 
convey to a lot of the people I see because you're never going to not never, but it's, you're going to have a really hard time trying to change other people's opinions or change, you know, how they do things. So, and, and yet the irony is that you and I find ourselves in a position where we're in front of someone require, you know, and, and our jobs are require us to make them change. Well, that's the thing with our positions are slightly different. My, mine it's usually to assist with change is the way I would look at it. And the way that I do things is I do not tell them what's best for them. Mm-hmm. The whole, you know, our whole mandate and the way that we look at things is, you know, solution focused. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's essentially it's just, no, no, I'm only familiar with problem focused. <laughs> yeah, solution focus is, is yeah, essentially just goals, you know, uh, making goals, but not providing goals because that, you know, won't help clients. You're, making just put, you're more or less aff- affirming for them, uh, you know, the, the well, things to assist, they- assist because a lot of people have a hard time, you know, navigating the system because it's a difficult system that is in, in, in place at times and, uh, you know, achieving, achieving things that they need to succeed. And that's, you know, where, you know, people like you know positions like I have come in, or or, or or other things, even like counseling services. Like I'm not a counselor, but people who are counselors, they're they they often say, you know, they don't provide answers. That's not their that's not their job. They're not there to answer questions. They're there to you know they have the skills to work through problems with with people and kind of shed some different perspective, maybe, but. You know, so how, how, how is your position different than, you know, what exactly is, um, tell us more about the, the mandate that, that you are governed by. Well, I, I guess I, I'm a case, I do case management. That's essentially the title of the role too. So I, uh, I assist people with, you know, I, I assist people become stable enough to, um, function on their, like the goal is to, um, create independence, assist with independence. Mm-hmm. So get people to a point where they can live independently without needing assistance from some sort of agency or anything like that. So is there, is it time limited? Uh, how does that work? Um, there's definitely like goals for time, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's different with everybody. Yeah. I, I imagine um that there's probably a lot of returning uh, clientele. Um, what is that cycle like? Can you describe people who you might see doing successful for a while? I mean, this is part of the stages of change. Mm-hmm. We should highlight that relapse is sort of expected. Yeah, well, you see that. Yeah, and then and that's kind of even included. If you, if you you know get to a point with a client where you don't need to see them anymore, you could do say you know if things are going bad again. You know, we're not done. We can reopen. We can you know, work through things with you again. So, and yeah, depending on depending on the client, definitely see relapse. Well, relapses. I don't know the numbers, but for people who are in recovery, relapse is a very common trend. Yeah, it's difficult to stay. I'm not completely sure why that is. It might have to do well as we discussed. It might have to do with the negative feel. If people if people are addressing the substance issue and not addressing the underlying issues, then there's going to be relapse every time, I believe. 
Right. I feel like that's where there's sometimes a problem and that's where the, you know, the, uh, the punitive system or they look at it be like, okay, the, the issue they look at it as the issue is the drugs or the addiction, but that's not, that's not what it is. You know, the problem isn't the addiction. Their problem is why they're using, you know, mm-hmm. and if without addressing that. But I, I feel like we're talking about two different things. Um, in a way, on the one hand, we're talking about individuals' choices and we're sort of packaging that that up in mm-hmm. terms of their their individual agency and autonomy versus you know what's available to them in this in the structure around them. But on the other hand, you know, there's this sort of appetite by society to help or not help, or you know, the orientation might be to punish or to rehabilitate, for example many of the open societies in Scandinavia take a, a, an approach that's premised on social welfareism mm-hmm. and it's much more orientated towards co- social cohesion and everyone having a, a social responsibility to each other. And therefore, you know, rehabilitation seems to be the name of the game. Whereas if you look at um, the, the U S for example, as a, as a prime example of sort of, neoliberal politics then capitalism and unfettered markets reign and as you pointed out you know um, private prisons are a symptom of that Mm -hmm. consequently the public appetite is i have everything that's mine that i've earned uh, that i'm entitled to and everyone else is responsible for themselves so that individualistic perspective Mm -hmm. and um so consequently, anyone who's in a bind with addiction or homeless or whatever, that's that's on them. I and, see. Uh, they're you know punish the poor, as Louis Wacant would have said. Mm-hmm. So I, I bring it back to hometown where where um, that's dear to my heart and and close to yours right now, where there's that methadone clinic, which is not so recent, although it was news to me, and the attitude seems to be among at least the people that I was chatting with, not in my town. I mean, yeah, methadone clinics are a good idea, uh, but not in my backyard. Hmm. Yeah. That's a conservative view. You know, they, um, I don't know them. What, like what's, what's the answer then? You know, if their people don't have the, like that option, then they're just going to be using opiates. Hmm. See, see, the other thought that was shared during the conversation with the friends um, offline, we were, you know, I, I, it, it was my view. And I was, so I was trying to convey to them, you know, that, um, that this small city where you find yourself is a hub for even smaller little towns. And it seems like. Well, so, yeah, it's the main hub for the know, community. Yeah. While many people are fleeing urban environments at the moment, um, when they're able to work from home and, and whatnot, others in more rural places are sort of drawn to where there's service, where it's sort of service rich. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so you have this sort of concentration of, uh, of things like methadone clinics where, you know, nobody, nobody really wants to live next to it. I don't need to go into too much detail about it, but we just let inform. We have methadone clinics in a lot of the smaller communities too. Really? Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. Just, Although it. And they've been around for a while. Yeah, and, and, so they're. So yeah, they're. 
yeah, we've been dispensing methadone in these communities for years. So maybe you can shed a bit of light in your experience about addictions, medicine, and like what methadone is and how it works. I, I read bearing in mind, you're not a doctor and you're, this is probably not your expertise. Yeah. I what, wouldn't. what do you know of it? What do you know of it? Well, it's a, it's um, an opiate uh, replacement therapy. So um, there's two, well, from the ones I'm familiar with, there's methadone and then there's Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I don't, I don't know physically what it does, um, but I, I know that it, uh, yeah, it, it, it um, get rid of the, uh, the craving because it's a, to go through opiate withdrawal, it's very serious and very difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, these things give you an option to, and, and you know, you see it's a lot of people, it's, it's, it's very helpful and people can live normal lives just using it. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good harm reduction technique. So what, what is the difference between methadone clinics and safe injection sites? Yes. Yeah, so at these methadone clinics they're like, you don't, yeah, they don't, they, they actually, they do provide, um, what would you call them? Tools, right? Like tools to use substances. If you need, they do have that. It's kind of like a health unit in that sense. Like they can provide you with that, but they don't, they don't give you a space where you'd be able to safely use. Whereas these safe injecting sites, they are exactly what they sound like. They, I give you a place where you can use. And the reason they, those exist is, um, you know, if uh, somebody overdoses and you have somebody close by. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no doubt at the, these methadone clinics there's use, right. But it's, uh, it's not the intended use for them. There's like, there, there's, yeah. they're there to dispense not the methadone. Really. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, I think methadone requires a physician or a health uh, well, the practitioner's so nurses, oversight. Nurses are the ones who provide it, but the yeah, other's a doctor uh, yeah, who oversees all the clientele. And stuff. Like it, 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 in fact, has to be prescribed. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. So can are you able to, and if you're not, just say so, that's completely understandable, but can you share any anecdotes about what clients have uh, conveyed to you about their experiences of, of taking methadone or suboxone? No, I shouldn't get into that. Fair enough. Good. Well, Got to draw the line somewhere. I, yeah, I shouldn't. Uh, yeah. Even if I, I don't use names or anything, I should just leave what I've heard there. So that that's fair enough. I completely respect that and, and appreciate uh, that. Although um, I think I'll take the liberty of of being able to speak a little bit from my firsthand experience, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, some people do find it useful in that it curbs the craving and, and after a certain period of time when you showed accountability and you're able to, uh, my understanding is show clean urinalysis mm-hmm. um, that's consistent with the prescription being afforded to you, then eventually you can then take um carries with you so yeah. rather rather than it being administered um by a supervised medical health practitioner you're sort of trusted with a safe supply if you will and the whole idea is that eventually you're you're getting to a point where you're not taking illicit substances anymore you're you're you know under the supervision of a of a healthcare provider you're making goals and progress towards 
reducing your use and at least reducing the harm mm-hmm. uh, and, and meanwhile curbing you know the the, the very real and physical dependence that is um, part and parcel to this addiction mm-hmm. yeah so that's my my understanding of methadone and suboxone they, they both work um, in, in that way that's sort of how they're they're governed um, from my experience that's anecdotal from what i've heard from clients and folks that uh that are in that more closely in that industry mm-hmm. um um but I, there's also something to be said about you know folks that are not accountable and uh this sort of issue of sort of abuse you know taking advantage of this system as well um i don't know if that's a fair term maybe i'm maybe i'm not being generous here and you can correct me please but um it seems as though some are are still dabbling with illicit as well as getting methadone and just anything to get their fix um in their sort of ongoing failed attempts i don't know if that's the right term well the yeah I, the thing is it's it's harm reduction then you know like they yeah. they like a lot of people are are going to find it difficult to quit these things cold turkey if they have this replacement that helps them some days and then other times they use those days that they aren't using it's still helping yeah and you know it's keeping them away from possibly overdosing or yeah so i think it's it's a positive thing to have if you know it's not it's definitely it's a common good i think it's it's a utility that's i think in the long run again fiscally responsible um but unfortunately it seems terribly stigmatic Mm -hmm. so it's not well incorporated in society it's a it's a little pocket um it's you know it's either i think what you're describing in the smaller towns that i didn't even realize which i'm glad to hear by the way Mm -hmm. but I think you'll agree you're describing these very discreet um, pockets of, of places, uh, which again, to the point earlier are invisible. Many people don't know what they are because they're intentionally kept out of sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, does that work? Is that important in terms of sort of giving the privacy of people who are struggling with addiction? Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, how do we, how do we make this issue visible? Yeah, I don't know. Because you definitely have to keep confidentiality as a thing. If people don't want to, you know, it to be known that they're doing these or on these things, we have to respect that. But um, yeah. So, like, but is that is that tying a little bit more too closely to the issue of individualism versus the the social responsibility that we have to each other? I mean, well, I, what I guess that's a, that's we could delve a little bit more into that. Like, what's like social responsibility is in in terms of what like social welfare? Yeah, I, I'm talking. Well, yeah, and I think that's a loaded term that is that we should unpack. P, you know, I'm talking about welfareism, mm-hmm. the, the the principle of belonging to one another. That's what I meant too. Yeah, yeah, like not exactly. like not like the you know, I'm not talking about Ontario Works or anything. Yeah, being on the dole. Yeah, it's in, in Ireland, um, <laughs> which is like high, again highly stigmatic, but important. I mean, it's like being on unemployment. God forbid the many people who were in industries just different from ours because of the luck of the draw of this pandemic are, are just out of work and entirely, you know, find, you know, I talk about addiction becoming rampant. I mean, 
the the meaning that people have in their lives if it's only tied to work. Yeah. And the unemployment would point to a serious problem, especially if you consider in the next hundred, you know, hundred years, say, I don't know, maybe that's far, but pandemic aside, the just the idea of automation coming in. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people without work and in a in a world where we seem to tie our identities to what we do mm-hmm. for work. Mm-hmm. It, this is pointing to a, a, a catastrophe in a way. Yeah, definitely. There's yeah, there's a lot of things like that that could happen in the near future that you know could cause some definite global crisis. But so, do you not have some opinion on? I mean, there must be areas where you see r- room for improvement in the way that your business is done and. Um, you know, without being too critical of, of your employer necessarily or, or anything like that. I mean, what critiques have you observed? You know, where, what would be the way forward if you had the magic wand in uh, trying to facilitate change on a systematic level or an individual level for, for your clients? Yeah, I don't want to go into too much of a right. complaint, Fair but I just, no, this is something I, one thing or two things I can address, but I don't want, like, like you said, there's, I don't want to be too overtly critical because because to be honest, I do believe that the work that I do, and I'm not just trying to say this about myself, but in general is, is, is needed. And I think we do a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that if we had more, like essentially more funding to do more things is the best way to put it. Like, and that would come from, um, different avenues, but um, sometimes I just feel like we might be limited to the um, services we can provide. But this, okay. So that's one that was that one of the critiques, one mm-hmm. of the two. Yeah. Well, what is, well, the, well, the other one was to be something that we're already discussing just how um, just to not have uh, like the judicial aspect to be so involved. You know? I think we agree. I mean, the the solution it sounds like is taking money off the back end mm-hmm. that you would spend putting people in in incarcerating them, so to speak, and the bureaucracy of the judicial system and coerciveness, so to speak, mm-hmm. and and use that towards preventative measures. That's right. Essentially, that's what I believe would be. You know, that's that's the biggest change that would be good to see. But um, I guess this is, this is not exactly a matter of belief. I mean, this is, this is sort of evident, like this is empirically based on much of the social science that's been done. Um, I mean, if you want to, I'm thinking of uh, less law, more order, which is a book by Irvin Waller from university of Ottawa. And he, he makes a great account of how every dollar that you spend preventative you're saving three on the back end. i can imagine yeah mm-hmm. so it, it makes me wonder and that so we know that i mean that's been established it's been shown through critical analysis of policies and by pilot studies and, and similar to idea- like a good way to look at this is smoking cessation right the reason why they try to put so much money into that is because when people are dying from smoking at the end of their life right the, the cost of that is far greater than getting people to stop smoking earlier in their life. It's a very, it's a very good example. Mm -hmm. It's similar to innocent addiction too, no doubt tobacco or I guess nicotine is the addictive ingredient. But um, if we, 
What did you say then just now? Did you say it was an innocent addiction? No, I said that it was nicotine addiction. Oh, I see. I cut out there. No, no, I know you, you're, you're coming in loud and clear, but my mind's going uh, a mile a minute. I didn't say innocent. I don't, I don't know. I think all addictions are in the same, you know, discussion and that that's not just illicit substances, you know, I don't think innocence. Yeah, forgive me. Innocence is not part of the equation at all. I mean, we're all guilty of of something. something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I, in my experience, you know, with my criminological glasses on here, I mean, it's so much easier to point the finger and blame others. um, You know, saying that pointing out the wrongdoing of others, you know, because it doesn't force us to. Just because it's not legal, really. Like you know, saying things like you know, my addiction is legal therefore it's not frowned upon as much you know and that's the whole thing as we discussed before like alcohol like because alcoholism isn't um people don't think it's as serious as being addicted to you know opiates or cocaine or something Mm -hmm. but it's it's way more common and you know arguably more harmful yeah arguable but you know that's why yeah well, if I can put you, if I can just, you know, make you at all any more comfortable about the conversation that we're sort of having and dancing around in, in a certain way, uh, you know, bear in mind that it's not live. There's going to be lots of time for you to to digest what we've talked about and to listen to it before it goes public. Uh, so you'll have, you can have final say on uh, on anything before we make no, it available. But it's not, yeah, I, I feel like things are going for there's a few things i'm withholding yeah which is smart and and if anything it keeps anyone still tuned in uh guessing which is you know part of the fun i guess but but for good reason i mean it, it does you know it, it does not serve you it, it doesn't serve me either or anyone to be uh critical of of the very livelihoods you know that they that they enjoy i mean i i have nothing but gratitude for the fact that i'm I'm employed at this moment. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If we look at that from a pandemic aspect, you and I are lucky, right? Job security has never seemed better. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when I hear a lot of people being upset with the lockdowns and things like that, yeah, my perspective is a lot, it's a lot easier for me to be like, Oh no, we should, you know, and because I'm should impl- we should lock down, right? I'm like, and, it, and I still think we should, but it's a lot easier for me to say that because I'm, my job security is there. But a lot of people, right. when there's a lockdown, they're not working. And so I understand that argument. So it's a lot more stressful. So for a lot of well, other people. I, I jotted this idea down while you're speaking of um, smoking cessation. And it's, you know, that's a, that's a common good. And that has forethought clearly. And it's based on science. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you, you take a systematic approach at, at, at studying, you know, the harms of nicotine and the, and the potential good that comes from preventing it. You know, it's just so evident. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was thinking uh, along the lines of universal basic income. Mm. Is that something that you have an opinion on? Or I um, I am familiar with it. I I would. I think, did we did we try like greenlight a few communities to do it in Ontario? I'm yeah. I forget. I don't know how that worked out. I'd be interested to hear the results. I um 
Because I think that there is definitely a benefit to that. Um, well, look, look at it. It's how the funny thing is these studies that were done. I'm not as familiar with. Um, I don't really know any studies necessarily, but I, I'm aware that they were done. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, I know that there was one done years ago around the time that I was doing grad school in the very city that I was in, Utrecht uh, in the Netherlands, coincidentally was piloting a project. Um, and he, and this is, you know, this is a very progressive way of approaching society um, by, by, you know, those standards in like what, 2015 or something, but fast forward to the pandemic and CERB is essentially that. Yeah, I mean, it is. An example of universal basic income well, that is a necessity at this time. The difference is, I guess, you and I aren't receiving it, right? So, no. from what I understand about universal basic income, is even if you're employed, you'll still get the get that. Would you not? I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you pointed that out. You're right. You're right. There, there are. I'm. I'm speaking off the cuff. Um, is it cuff or cusp? Cuff, I believe. Yeah, I always used to say cusp. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm here so to correct you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. You're right. I'm glad you made that distinction. Um, and clearly, this is not precedented. You know, the idea of CERB. I'm not sure what that stands for. I don't know in, in Canada, it's. Uh, I guess I should look it up. I've made the mistake of saying things on the podcast and being erroneous and <laughs> regretting, re- regretting it later on. Yeah, I'm sure um, it's okay, but it's it's better to get it right on the record. But That's for anyone funny. who for anyone who uh, who gives a damn, uh, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit is mm-hmm. what CERB stands okay. for. So the with the the way I look at anything when it comes to economics like that is I always have a bit of a fear and I guess, but it's not that I don't think we shouldn't do it, but like universal basic income or when we raise the minimum wage or things like that. I just think the, the greed in our societies will look at that and be like, well, if everyone has this money, then like prices of everything are going to rise. You know, I think that's kind of how that just just like the give and take of that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but I think we would definitely have negatives that we see, especially the the middle class, because, well, no, because we'd be getting in this universal basic income situation. Everybody gets that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I wish I was better informed to have a discussion because I think this is one worth having. Maybe that should be the basis of another episode. I should find an expert on this topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the argument is that it's, it's going to be, so I think of um, U S politics. There was a great, uh, a great um, fellow running. What's going on over there? Sorry, okay? I was just itching my ear. We're good. <laughs> how how are you doing? I'm just checking in on you again because I can't see you. So have you got a, a beverage or? Yeah, I haven't food? touched it yet, but I I opened it and I've just been talking so much. So you're, fe- you're feeling comfy and. Uh, oh yeah, this, I'm in. I have a good computer chair here. I'm in front of my yeah. desktop, so we got some time uh, still, or uh, we're not. Uh, well, we have to go. For, we have to go longer than you, and Nathan's, right? So I think we That's got another right. 20, 20 minutes or so. <laughs> Oh really? Well, uh, yeah, but I don't know exactly, but yeah, it's something like that. I'm not keeping track of the time, but it, I, I feel like we could go for for miles yet. Mm-hmm. Um, universal basic income. You said you're you're talking about having an expert on about that, or um, it, it would, you're, it would you're, be you're, interesting. You said you're. I think you're bringing up somebody that I, I was. I, I was thinking who. of. I was thinking of Andrew Yang. 
uh, who was a, a phenomenon, who's a phenomenon, I think in, actually, I think he's running for, uh, yeah, he's an American Amer- politician, isn't it? Yeah. Amer- American uh, politician, indeed an entrepreneur at mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. And I think he's actually running for mayor of New York city yeah. at the moment. I understand. Uh, at least that's what I heard on the Sam Harris podcast that I was listening to. Yeah. But he, he, so to make a long story short, he does a great job of explaining this idea of UBI universal basic income, you know, automation is coming. It's foreseeable that many folks like truck drivers or any of the retail store clerks that are being um, replaced by kiosk day over day, it's going to result in a, in a real situation. Um, And so he had some great ideas with the idea stemming around what was what he called an American um, dividend. Basically it was, you know, you, it, rather than talking about it in terms of universal basic income, he said, look, as a, as a U.S. citizen, you know, the, the country should be able to provide you a certain basis. Uh, I mean, this is not sufficient enough for you to live off of, but mm-hmm. it, for some, some folks, it's going to mean, you know, being able to go back to school for mm-hmm. some folks, it's going to mean starting a business and it's going to stimulate. The question is, where does the money come from? Yeah. That's come from taxes. Yeah. And so, but I mean, yeah, I guess. And and this is not something that I'm that well informed on, but clearly in a, this is not consistent with a model of the world that's based on the rich, you know, enjoying the wealth that they have at an exponential rate. That's right. Growing, you know, all the more this widening gap, you know, that's happening as a result of, of capitalism uh, is not sustainable and not consistent with, with universal basic income. I think UBI is about, you know, distributing the wealth um, in society. A little bit more socialism. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And and that's my bias. I think um, I, you know, studied in, in a, in a socially democratic, well, Canada is actually quite socially democratic, um, like yeah globally for sure globally i think it is um yeah anyway i'm I'm rambling now and overextending myself but um i think i think i think we're on the same page or Mm -hmm. i I should i should ask you because i'm just dominating this conversation again that's just right now i think things are going fine but yeah i agree what you're saying but um yeah so i i mean i i guess to get back on track we're talking about, you know, preconditions of, uh, of what it takes to avoid addiction and the, the harms that come with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah to, to invest more in frontline stuff, I guess, cause it's hard to get, it's hard to be preventative with addiction really. Like, I, don't, I don't know if you agree with that, but it's hard to, I don't know what, like, I guess the people would say, the argument would be that making it illegal is preventative, right? Trying to have some law implication to, you know, make people scared of trying it. Mm. Um, I don't think that's successful, but that's an argument, I guess. Uh, yeah. Coercing them. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, so I'm, I think it's incum- incumbent on us to highlight, you know, the, the value that some substances have, you touched on this earlier. And um, I mean, according to 
people with substance dependency, they they might say their drug of choice is in fact the solution. But mm-hmm. for some, for some, all substances have merit uh, in some degree, and you know we need to be fair in situating caffeine yeah. alongside alcohol and tobacco and and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody, you know, every substance, you know, like I, like I said, every you know people use for a reason. You know, the these substances make make us feel good temporarily but 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 the the point that i should drive home here is that when you look at in canada for example it's the controlled the the cdsa controlled drugs and substances act uh which has tr- substances in in certain schedules it categorizes yeah. them mm-hmm. and the same is the case in the us and many countries and um to come back to psychedelics for example you know the science is 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 becoming quite clear uh and a resurgence towards studying this subject is is happening these days um following up to you know an era before the 1960s when it was really shut down as a result of you know um all the nixon era and the war on drugs and war on drugs so, exactly and so these are the effects it would seem that as a perspective i think from the u.s was sort of exported globally mm-hmm. um, and, tra- and transnationally but certainly the the point that i'm trying to make certainly there is a discrepancy between what the science is saying like the empirical evidence and the way things are written in policy and and the governance of things. And they're just, they're behind. behind. This is the best way to kind of look at it. Like the laws are behind the science. Um, That's, that's a good way of describing it. But yeah, once again, though, any substance that can alter your your brain, it, it does have potential to cause problems too. So I know what you're talking about, like say, like microdosing psilocybin, things like that. There's evidence to show that it can help with a lot of different things, right? But it can still be abused. So that's that's right. Like I, I do come from a slightly different angle in some things. I don't know if you will agree with me, but because a lot of people like there's evidence to show now that marijuana is good. It's like a medicine in some respects, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, I I think that a lot of you know, a lot of people still use it because they get high and they enjoy that feeling, but that's okay too. Right. But they, they use like a, a veil of, Oh, well, it's good for me. And there's these positive effects. Right. Um, I, I, I think that that's happening a lot too. Um, I just think people need to be, you know, you know, honest with their expectation of it. Like, you know, obviously there's some benefits, but you're allowed to like getting, you know, a feeling off it that's why people drink too there's there's absolutely no positive benefits to drinking mm-hmm. right but so i i, I yeah. think people are fooling themselves sometimes by saying you know i'm just gonna i need a cannabis prescription for this that or the other thing but there's definitely I, a reason why people use it yeah i think you're describing you know the idea of legitimacy um you know and and so people who pop pills or you have a prescription for anything, you know, cannabis or, um, you know, in, in this way, it's sort of allowing, you know, it's like it's being sanctioned or approved so long as someone in a white lab coat mm-hmm. 
uh, signs off on it and says it's okay, even though it's a large part of the opiate started, crisis has to do with, pharma- with pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. Like it all, yeah, there's a, you see just a lot of stories, right? Like these aren't stories that I've seen, but even just, you know, I see, you know, regular working class people get a, a severe injury. You know, back in the nineties, they just prescribed um, Oxycontin was the big one. Right. And then they'd get to the point where they're, you know, they took them off it and they're addicted. So they, Mm -hmm. you know, turned to heroin just to, you know, know, get, get their, their, uh, you know, to not have the withdrawals. So you see that story all the time because I've seen a lot of documentaries and even things that talk about that, that, you know, that's, that's what kind of started the opioid crisis. But now, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but I, I have to share, I'm sure uh, she won't mind, but th- this anecdote I think will resonate um, with Nat's arm recently. Mm-hmm. You know, she was, um, we were unable to pick, pick her up. Uh, she was in such pain when she had um, fractured her, her, um, her arm in two places. Mm-hmm. Uh and so an ambulance was called and when the paramedics arrived, they um, decided to administer fentanyl yeah. and, you know, we, her and I looked at each other cause we both are aware of the sort of, I mean, that in itself, that substance is sort of um, loaded with all sorts, you know, it's well, just, there's, it's, there's um, a stigma, but you know, is it, is it earned? Probably. What do you mean earned? Like the stigma around it is earned just because of like the overdoses and things that we're seeing um, for fentanyl, right? Because like when mm-hmm. I'm sure as soon as you guys heard fentanyl, the stigma that you guys have around fentanyl made you, you know, second guess if she wanted to take it. Um, but like what I'm saying is maybe that's, maybe that's fair. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is, but I mean... Um to follow that anecdote, I mean, yeah, it's understandably concerning. Uh, it, it's a, it's an epidemic at the moment and, um, people are describing, you know, fentanyl because of its affordability being laced with, um, products mm-hmm. and overdoses are happening. And so there's a lot of problems there, but, uh, here's a case of someone that has, if ever a candidate for pain management, mm-hmm. Uh, this is it. Yep. And um, it started with the look at each other when the term fentanyl, because we like, I guess, being professionals, her being a nurse and me being um, what I am, we like to think that we're, you know, at a safe distance or something. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, as the story goes, I wasn't allowed in the ambulance because of uh, COVID. The, the COVID, obviously. So, I heard of this story and uh, maybe she'll have to come on the show to tell it herself, but to make a long story short, she's, you know, the, the fentanyl wears off, she's in the emergency room and she's in terrible pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, here's a healthcare provider who's reluctant to ask for pain medication because there's such a stigma mm-hmm. around um, seeking uh, behavior, yeah. you know, dr- drug seeking behavior in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and a distrust um, and the fact that, you know, maybe we're living in such an objective world that's, you know, that's based on actuarial assessments um, and, and pain is something that is subjective. That's right. Yeah. So um, here she is, you know, in a candidate, if there ever was one for, for, um, 
for pain management and um, sort of being neglected in the hustle and bustle of the ER. Um, and, you know, she is reluctant to advocate for herself. Um, yeah. And understandably so I can relate to that, that very experience. Mm-hmm. Th- and it's to your point, it's to your point about just to finish common folks having an injury, getting hooked on pain meds, and then, you know, it just being spiraling. Mm-hmm. I think that's why opiates kind of exist in the first place is for in those moments when the you're in pain that is well as you said that's it's objective though pain is right so you could have somebody who has some sort of illness and they would say that their pain is unmanageable so mm-hmm. that's where this comes from so because I, I was about to say you know someone with a recently broken bone that's something where you believe that you know an opiate could get you through that stage and I think that's what it's like originally per the purpose. And that makes sense to me. But, but then, as you said, when pain becomes an objective thing, you know, someone who has, I don't know, a torn ACL or something, and they're rehabbing it at home, then do they need the same type of pain management? That's, you know, the, you know, the easy answer is no, mm-hmm. but to, to the people who are experiencing that pain, they might beg to differ. Yeah, you're making me think of a more recent Joe Rogan podcast. Who the hell did he have on? She was a female comedian. It'll have to, uh, it'll it'll come to me. But um, she got sober and, uh, you know, was describing this very thing of going through surgery. And it's like, you're stuck with a predicament of, mm-hmm. uh, her name was uh, Lara Beats. Um, anyway, yeah, it's an interesting predicament to think of. Imagine, uh, you know, you've, you've got sober and you have a legitimate reason for pain management and you're, yeah. you're stuck with the decision of, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, cope? Mm-hmm. How do you manage? And there's the other side of the coin. Sometimes you don't have the choice. So if you have a history of addiction and it's documented and you, um, need pain management, you're often not allowed to have the same access to these things, which is once again, you know, that's that's up to debate of whether the people should be or not. Cause I know like, yeah, like if some if say somebody who has a history of addiction, same thing happened, they broke their arm. I don't think they'd administer fentanyl. They would use naproxen or something like that. Well, naproxen is an, is an antigen. What is it? Antigen or um, mm-hmm. it's um, the opposite of does naproxen give any effect? Yeah. Well, it's pain. It does help with pain, but it's not. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of naloxone. Excuse oh, me. Oh no, no. I'm sorry. No, not naproxen. Naproxen is is like is for pain. Of course, I've had uh, I've had it, and it's it's not as good as the good stuff. <laughs> that's right. It's that's the thing, right? It's not as helpful, but it's um, it's just not you know addictive physically. Yeah, so. I I mean, I'm just thinking of um, your your point on the liability of you know treating addiction. Um, you know that from a doctor's perspective, I mean. You know, it, 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 there's something to be said about looking at the world with uh, with a, a, a lens of risk. You know, where we seem to be, it's all about risk aversion. And I, I want to go back to what you said earlier. There's, there's so it's so good. Um, the idea of just being honest and truthful and saying, "Look, I use drugs um, because I like them." because mm-hmm. they they provide for me a sense of uh contentment i i use them responsibly mm-hmm. i um you know i'm i'm an adult i 
am responsible for what goes into my body and how I conduct myself. And I have obligations that I meet and, um, and, you know, drugs help give perspective in, in my life, uh, or, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. And I'm echoing the work of Dr. Carl Hart, who's, um, a professor at university of Columbia. And he's, uh, quite an interesting character, um, giving this very same message and his book is escaping me, but it's this very idea of, um, you know, being adult about this and being honest, as you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's, cause it's trying to you know, acquire something that you want by not being truthful isn't, isn't helpful. And it's not helpful for, cause people, you know, lawmakers are going to believe it. You know, they're going to believe if you say, well, you know, the only reason we're doing this is, pain management or you know whatever and there and there is evidence to show that cannabis is good for these things like i said but um you know like i said a lot of people still i think use it because they enjoy the effects which and like i said it's it's a good it's just it's that's fine and it's just it's just better to be honest yeah i th- i want to also um touch on earlier you meant made mention of um you know microdosing um psilocybin specifically and um i think there's a lot of anecdotal talk on on that i'm i'm curious about um some psychedelic stocks and the future of that sector but my understanding Mm -hmm. is that the research right now is more or less generally focused on macro doses and um, oh really yeah mystical sort of experiences or there's other terms like that's the research that's being done yeah the 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 or is it just anecdotally like people talking about the the clinical trials that are happening in 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 places like um john hopkins in the u.s and different Mm -hmm. university um hospitals you know these these clinical trials by the way anybody keen on this needs to look at michael pollan's book it's called um how to change your mind and it's by far the most um spectacular and well-informed account to date of the science behind psychedelics but mm-hmm. basically my my crude uh, summary uh, of understanding is is that the there's limited um evidence at the moment on, on, on microdosing. There are some people that are reporting positive benefits, but the, the main crux of the research has to do with clinical trials of people, um, taking a, a relatively higher dose in, um, Mm -hmm. in a clinical setting with two guides, if you will, or two clinicians, a lot of preparatory work going into it. Um, and then integration after the fact, and there's much, um, there's much promise in the results forthcoming on its potential for resolving things like depression, trauma, depression, major mood disorders, addiction. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of interesting work being done in this sector. And um, is it, do you know if it's anything specific, like any substances specific or is it the hallucinogens in general? There are different trials for for different things. I think ketamine is is being looked at. Yeah, I've uh, heard ketamine is for depression. DMT, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar with DMT. I know psilocybin seems to be the most um, common. It, it would seem that's magic mushrooms, yeah. um, and I think many of the studies are using a synthetic 
type of of that. Um, but there's also and and there was there's an interesting criticism that I heard uh, lately, um, but I can't remember who. Maybe I'll try to link it in the show notes if I can recall. And he was actually he might have been making a case for microdosing or not. I I, I might be mistaken here, but. Um, I'm talking at the side of my mouth as well. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking smack. I, I'm making all this up, actually. Fact check all this, by the way. <laughs> Disclaimer, like, I don't know. Obviously, I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, so I got, I got on a tangent, but this is something that I find uh, interesting and frankly have um, some money riding on, which is oh, part of the problem. Well, well then, yeah, the gambling, talking anything yeah. about that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that's all that's another that's a behavioral addiction talk we can about, talk about that compulsions too. yeah exactly precisely uh, mm-hmm. um and I, that's i think where we all were just briefly i think that's where all of us have problems that we don't want to necessarily admit is behavioral well as you would call them compulsions but behavioral addictions yeah right. yeah it's it's that dopamine rush that you know has been taught um to yourself through cues that you you know knowingly or unknowingly you know go through a sequence and it starts with whatever the trigger might be and an extreme case might be you know washing your hands if it's sort of obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. um or an entire family meal from swiss chalet yeah or or yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 we've come full circle uh, yeah i mean we need to yeah I alluded earlier to us being both big lads, but I mean, I'm fully well uh, willing to acknowledge my morbid obesity in early life. And well, yeah, previous, at least you know you've you've moved through that I'm, for the most part. I've, I'm improving that day by day. Um, yeah, but that compulsion was um, so you, can, you can relate to that. I'm sure just eating. As like as in your early life most definitely or, eating my feelings away absolutely mm-hmm. and that was that's learned behavior without a doubt um mm-hmm. not to put situation on anyone but my own shoulders because at the end of the day the buck stops with me you can still make a choice right yeah. exactly and and having the awareness is the first step to changing anything and there you have the there you go you're not yeah, accountability right? years ago i i had that the fortitude and and figured it out and you know i i should say i've in my years i've probably lost you know more than 10 inches around my waist mm-hmm. um you know which is real results over time but I, there's something to be said about um trauma here and there's something to be said about intergenerational trauma and being it being handed down yeah yeah because yeah if our family experiences it then the way that they cope with it could affect us right mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so compulsions come in, in strange ways. And I think anybody listening can relate to their own. Uh, and it's, it is about a reflexive and honest take at, at looking at one's life. And uh, it's to a point I was trying to make earlier, it's so much easier. And I think this is um, part of why, you know, the things rarely change in, in, um, in handling deviance in society, it seems it's so much more comfortable to point the finger elsewhere uh, and to look at others' wrongdoings um, rather than our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't like to think that we're part of the problem or 
but but it's so much it's so much more productive to situate yourself as part of the problem because therefore you know you have the potential to change change it yeah exactly because like like i said before you can't change you know other people but yeah you can change your own actions yeah hence leading me to this podcast i i find it in a way it's um in a way, kind of therapy for myself in trying to speak truth to how I see the problem and and bring awareness around it and start a conversation about you know potential solutions, and um, so that kind of segues nicely into how I'm hoping to direct the conversation further uh, about self care and strategies that you might take um, in keeping well in a field that's rife with trauma and to- toxicity yeah, well yeah like even like you said gender intergenerational like vicarious trauma right that's something that you and i probably deal with yeah right compassion just compassion fatigue. compassion fatigue is the same thing right yeah just and and you know we're definitely if you work in this field you, you felt that there's no there's no doubt you know the the horror stories that we can hear mm-hmm. you know just gets it can be very wearing, very draining. So it's important to have good self care. I'm not saying I'm a, an expert on that either, but are you willing to elaborate at all on sort of the insidious effects um, that you might have experienced as as a result of um, of your job? Can you comment on uh, any awareness that you had maybe in your earlier days, or or coming to appreciate the strange insidious ways that it presents and manifests in your life like how, like this job yeah like having it yeah how, oh, how, yeah. How, well, how does how how does um compassion fatigue manifest itself mm-hmm. in your life uh f- for me personally i i definitely have noticed um I, I like i definitely have anxiety more than i did before this position mm-hmm. um maybe even about normal things mm-hmm. that i wouldn't have historically um uh definitely take work home you know and like not actually but you know what i mean like think about work at home and those types of things like if you're not supposed to do that but you can you find yourself doing it when you have specifically hard situations and that's uh you, you have to find a way to be able to to work through that and um i think as you said like even you know talking to, to friends like this mm-hmm. you know even if we did this in private you know, not, not breaching confidentiality, but just reflecting on these types of things is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, also just being, keeping, you know, being aware of yourself and try to leave, definitely try to leave work at work. Yeah. But, you know, once again, easier said than done. So especially what I find it's like even harder now working from home because it's hard to distinguish yeah. the two. I don't work, from, I don't work from home every day, but uh we still have like half and half. Yeah, that's funny. Um, that's funny that you, yeah, I, it's so interesting to hear another perspective. And I feel like we're not, we're not giving concrete examples. I mean, anyone uh, who doesn't have experience with what we're talking about might just take an upper lip approach and tell us to kind of suck it up and, um, and carry on. Um, for example, I, I've experienced uh, strange, um, I, I see a lot of intimate partner violence, and I know that's something that, that you in a past life uh, uh, had some ex- work in had worked uh, also in, um, and that's something that um, 
that impacts the way that I see myself in in my relationship, for example. Mm -hmm. It it often has me second guessing, for example, in Nat's recent uh, incident with the hospital, I found myself calling the ER, you know, just to check in after several hours of of wanting to know, not realizing that it was so bad she'd have to go to surgery. So mm-hmm. after several hours, just wanting to check in and say, I'm, I'm available for a ride, uh, you know, just hoping that she's, she's well. And if you can tell me anything, I realize I'm not an emergency contact, um, but this is the conversation I'm having with the nurse on, and in the ER. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking they're, they're looking at me as though I'm the boyfriend who's done this and trying to cover his tracks. Yeah. Which it's is possible, which is so strange, you know, that, and that's the risk aversion. Those are the risk goggles that, that come from. So you see that. Yeah. But it is true. Cause I know like at, a, at, a, I don't know if they still do this, but at the emergency room here in, in town, I know if you go to the hospital for or the emergency room for any reason, they'll ask you about um, like, if your relationship is going well, Oh, it's like a, it's like something that they like have to now. Yeah. Just because, like, I think they're they want to give that like opportunity to people to open up, be able to just discuss it, or for some reason, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, that's one case. Um, that's one just small snippet, an example that I, I notice it creeping up in my life. And uh, sleep is another. How do you how do you manage your sleep? Hi. Well, I've had historical issues with sleep. Um, but you know, it's, it's one or the other. So sometimes I don't sleep at all. And sometimes I sleep for a couple of, uh, they've got pills, for, pills, for, pills for both that. You take some pills I to know. sleep, you got some pills to get up in the day. Yeah. Uppers, yeah. downers. Yeah. Well, if I did that, then yeah, you're living, you can't, you can't live off those forever, but mm. yeah, I definitely have weird cycles and I definitely don't do myself any favors, but, uh, I find myself recently being in a more of a, you know, sleeping a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely comes and goes. I, I spend a lot of time also concerned with um, running into clients um, out, outside, you know, of my, mm-hmm. in my personal life. Yeah. I know you've always been concerned about that yeah. and that's fair. Um, I don't have that as much. Luckily I um, work like I work in a, you know, 40 minutes away from where I live. Right. Um, so I don't have that problem, but I have worked in the same city here as well. Um, it just depends what you're doing. Like if you're, you obviously don't want to be out at a bar or something and see a client, but if I'm out at the grocery store and see one, I don't, it's not a big deal, but I find, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've had that experience before, but I find, the clientele really enjoy that they like to get to see you in a different light or something i know and and I, i'm glad you went there too because that's what matters you know i find uh, often i'm confined by so many policies and i'm i'm more or less stuck at a computer um mm-hmm. and um and the real work is sort of modeling people in the real world you know modeling for for folks in the real world what what uh not that I'm flawless or anything, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, trying to model for those who are less advantaged, um, 
or, or disadvantaged or, or less um, privileged than I to, to just demonstrate what it's like to assert yourself in a healthy way in the line at the bank, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and not, yeah. and not lose your shit at the teller. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like the conflict resolution skills. It's that you talk about, yeah, you, you try to work through that, but then if they see you in a community yelling at a, you know, a clerk at a grocery store, you know, you're not living, you're not living the way that you're advocating for. Yeah. But also doing it, like practicing what you preach in the way that if, if I went with, uh, with a client to, you know, if you, you know, or in your case, if you went with, um, I'm not sure, actually, maybe you can shed a bit of light on, on the proximity you have with clients. I mean, are you uh, going to appointments with them, for example? Not right now, but I have historically. Right, right. In fact, because with, with, with COVID, I can't really. Um, being close. Yeah, not allowed to have them, like clients in the car or anything. Uh, but historically, part of my position would be to attend like medical appointments and assist and help advocate and stuff. Right. And when our, we were in closer proximity, you and I are, uh, in fact, our, our professional um, positions overlapped on, uh, on a couple of occasions. It's a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I, in, enough of this uh, lamenting over the negative aspects, I guess, unless there's any more war stories you can, uh, no. you, you care to share. But I think more importantly, um, you know, what is it that, what is it that makes you feel well? I wonder um, I, I, you know, I'm part of a, a committee at work, like the wellness committee, and there's a real movement in, um, in, in my line of work that's uh, um, for as you say, you know, an awareness for mental health and um, mm-hmm. mindfulness-based resiliency training, um, you know, so, but personally, I, I use, um, I have a number of plants in my household, which sounds so cliche or cheesy, I guess, I don't know, but being in touch with nature is one mm-hmm. realistic way that helps me take off the wrist goggles and just going for a walk through, through woods and, really matters you know to me i've really been happy to get in touch with my roots lately um and 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 being in wilderness because you know this incessant uh assessment of risk and um evaluating you know trauma are you doing assessments as well in your or are you doing report writing or what what yeah yeah Yeah, i do a lot of like I read. I don't do assessments. It's not, I'm not qualified. I don't think really right. to do them. But I, you know, I do a lot of like registration stuff like that. But, but you also have a sort of unsaid clinical. Um, I have a clinical lens, I yeah. guess. But it's not like I couldn't um, For, I, I formally can, diagnose. Yeah. Or anything like that. No. No. Definitely not. Yeah, but but there's something to be said about getting away from that. Like you know, you say leaving work at work, it's so easy to say, but like yeah. practically, how do you do it? Like how do I? I I I struggle with it at times. Like I said, right now, especially in COVID, yeah, it's definitely been difficult. Um, because it's difficult to have, you know, to because you try to have extracurricular things to do, but right now we can't really either, right? So I'm uh. I find that I do better if I if I'm addressing my own shortcomings or health as well. Like if I make sure I'm eating well, right? Like like I can notice I can definitely get off the rails if I'm not sleeping, staying up, and eating crap. 
Yeah. You know, it definitely contributes to feeling worse about these things. So. Yeah, it's cyclical. You you don't uh, eat well and then you're not exercising and vice versa. And it, it just yeah. gets, uh, it can get messy, you know, yeah. get, get off the rails. Mm-hmm. But and it, it's a good thing to do as well, because we did reflect on the negative as well. But it's good to ref- something. What I do sometimes is reflect on the positive aspects of this job. You know, some days I I leave work and it's like I did I did well today. I did good today. You know, I helped people. Yeah. And then and realize like the skills that I've like I, I guess you like with your you thinking about intimate partner violence. Like it's given you a bit of a I guess a little bit of a concern or a different outlook. But I the way that I look at things too is I've gained a lot of different skills for my personal life as well just through work. Like I so much more empathy. Mm-hmm. and and those types of things and when you reflect on that it you know you realize you know it's not all bad you know there's good things happening as well it's so true I, i'm yeah and and that might be a good thing to to focus on as we're nearing the end to, of our long chat i haven't been timing it but i let's see if this will be our longest one yet i think we're about two two hours 15 something like that all right right on it's uh it's hard to know um after the snippets out so the time will be different then but uh we'll, we've still got a few a few uh minutes more to go i think yeah but i i start wrapping it up I, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for crying out loud i mean geez, you know. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock and i hear yeah yeah yeah, of course it'll be a different time that anyone's tuning in. I learned, I, I learned that I learned that when you're recording the sessions, you almost want to be like because it's taking me so long to get through them. This will likely be a little while before it airs, and a couple uh, weeks, I'm sure. Maybe yeah. So you don't want to you you, uh, you almost can't be too topical, but you know you, <laughs> anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, um, but you're right. There is so much to be thankful for just at the moment having a job. Um, I think there's anyone listening in could many people can relate in this time, you know, with work. I mean, our stress, it comes from being in a helping relationship uh, to some degree, but um, my brother, you know, is helping people with mortgages, for example. And I mean, talk about stress and, and the, I, I, the stress, I guess, of I, I'm I I don't know. I can just imagine, you know, the in the phone never ending. The, yeah, the workload, really. The workload, the always being on a computer, and and you rightly point out that now more than ever, people are really going to be stuck with having to choose, um, you know, well, having to decide how to separate their work and personal lives, mm-hmm. as it as it so creeps into your home and being in front of a computer all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but with this theme of gratitude, I mean, uh, I mean, how deep should I go? Um, I, I, uh, I, I have a number of tactics that I use. I journal. Um, I, I tend mm-hmm. to journal daily um, in cases that I, fortunately, you know, anxiety is something that I think we all experience and can be a very good um, to listen closely to it, it can be a great motivator and self educator and knowing what needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but at times that I've ever experienced anxiety, it's, you know, fo- consciously focusing on things that I'm grateful for is a tactic that actually works. Um, mm-hmm. You know, gratitude lists, 
but positive, positive self-talk. Positive. Exactly. Exactly. Positive self-talk. I'm, you know, I'm sell, I'm, I'm safe. I'm well-resourced and I'm connected is a, uh, uh-huh. is a mantra that was taught to me in, in some of my training and just repeating that to yourself um, that can work. I mean, it, it communicates to you at a deep level uh, feelings of, um, you know, it, it instill, it instills a sense of, of well-being um yeah i mean plants journaling um doing art music painting things unrelated oh, to work i just realized I, I have pets too which i find very helpful yeah I've, well i've had a cat for a while and there's, there's something to be said to the therapeutic value to pets yeah see and you don't even realize them uh until you talk about them and yeah i didn't even think of it and then i saw her walk by and i'm like oh yeah she's you know it's good to have just to have that companionship because you know you know have a it's also very valuable to have a partner like somebody um I'm, you know i take probably take that for granted as well because yeah. there's some people that have to tough this stuff out by themselves right but I, I see a lot of people who struggle in their relationships and they fail because uh, because of their work um you know and and i see people who you know develop personality disorders and maladaptive coping strategies and um i'm i'm gearing towards the negative again but uh, all the more need to f- to focus on the well-being stuff and this is turning into a an after hour special <laughs> of, you know <laughs> a feel good moment or whatever, but, um, I don't know anyone that's that, that can relate. Uh, it, it does, you know, I went into this line of work, um, in my career, you know, thinking it was tough, but I remember facilitating a, um, a disclosure of sexual abuse, um, in my early on in my career. And, uh, the, the drive home from work on that day was, uh, was weighty. It was, um, you know, it was quite, profound um for me so all the all the more need to you know focus on this on this stuff and i think you know tying back with psychedelics and mindfulness and i I think there's a real move these days for wellness uh clinics and these practices i mean people are are hungry for for this and i wonder if methadone clinics might be better tied to you know community wellness centers so to speak yeah that'd be good but I think that like for especially just the whole movement of mental illness and those types of things, I think we're starting to actually appreciate that, you know, we're not like as, as human beings, we, you know, we're not always well. Cause I think historically it was, we didn't talk about this stuff. The stuff wasn't, um, acknowledged. You know, but obviously, yeah, it wasn't acknowledged, but throughout time, I'm sure, you know, throughout human history, everyone's, we've always had people that are feeling stress, work stressful and, you know, having, vicarious trauma and those types of things but it just wasn't a thing like it wasn't yeah as you said it wasn't acknowledged and i think it's a a positive thing that we're doing now is addressing it and um you know realizing that it's okay you know i think i've heard this expression you know it's okay to not be okay yeah yeah kind of like it's okay to take drugs um you know if they make just because you like them That's right. Those are the two things to take away from this today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it would be wrong, I think, for me to say I don't do drugs. That would be a lie um, because everything is a drug. Yeah. Like I said, sugar yeah. or uh, technology. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess for it's a, it's a matter of educating and, and self-awareness. Um, 
in terms of deciding what is, you know, genuinely good for you at that time. And yeah, so yeah, this is a really interesting philosophical um, sort of axiom is the idea of structure and agency. And uh, maybe we're leaning too much on, maybe we need to listen a little bit more. I think the the moral to the story is, uh, you know, it's these clients in need who, who have careers around them built on telling them how to fix themselves, but really we need to listen more closely and, and just better understand, you know, what it is, understand their perspective as they see it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the and personal goals and what they see yeah. you know, within reason, but you know, how they see things being better for them you know, being successful. Yeah. Although that's also hard to do because if you listen uh, long enough um, to someone who's wanting to just play the, the, the blame game and um, point. The- well, that's the thing in my opinion, then this is, I guess, opinion based, but in, in my opinion, those people aren't ready then, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not ready for change and they don't really want to achieve it. Yeah. So that's why I mean, in my, I, I won't put up with that for too long. Uh, people do that. You listen to it a little bit, but. Cause then you're not, you're not actually working on anything if you're just coming in. You know, so what, 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 what's the result then? I mean, I think in your case, um, the, the job is, um, you know, there, 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 there might be some tacit level of coercion in the background, uh, but in terms of your relationship with them, they're there on a voluntary basis. Yeah. The position I have there. Yeah. And so what happens in the case that, you know, they're not like, what's the next step then? I mean, to go a, a a bit above and beyond your, your role. Um, you know, so they have an issue. You can, you can see the harm that's being done by them not addressing that issue. They decide mm-hmm. it's not their time. And so you're happy to say, well, come on back when you're ready. Well, yeah, that or, uh, or a different approach. Like, cause obviously if, if they're coming, they're coming for a reason, but if they're coming, cause they're referred by family or like, a probation officer like saying you have to go to this i usually won't i'll usually tell them you know <laughs> come back when you're ready right. but sometimes people will come in and say you know they don't want to quit using but they want to still work on stuff which is fine that's like that's once again goal oriented mm-hmm. i'm not there to to harp on abstinence or anything like that sure it's not what we do so yeah i guess i'm wondering though in an in an abstract way like how do you see it working if they're not willing to work on it with you and they're just not ready and they want to continue to cause harm to themselves and by virtue of that harm to the rest of society um like to, what to harm what the rest of society what would you what, what would you say well uh, i mean this is a slippery slope, but the, right. the harm, the harm being that, you know, eventually, well, and, and it comes down to the social determinants of health. And frankly, the, mm-hmm. the people that are accessing the healthcare system and the justice system are all the people of the same people of so low socioeconomic status. Uh, mm-hmm. So in that sense, you know, the rest of society, the moral majority, if you will, have a, have a responsibility. This is my opinion in, 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 in intervening i think we have a responsibility to help people that want it but i don't think we should we have a responsibility to um enforce change yeah that's that's interesting i'm trying to find out where the line is for you there definitely there's definitely a line um i don't know where it is yeah. 
Yeah, and that's this that's, is we're, this, this is like the beginning of a discussion. We definitely won't be able to solve yeah, this. But. I agree. You're right, and that could be the a good basis of another uh, discussion in future. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I usually like to wrap up by asking, uh, well, if there's anything that you're interested in plugging, um, or if there's anyone that you sort of recommend coming onto the show. I know Decam uh, was front of mind. Any other contenders that you think I should consider? Uh, yeah, there's. I can. I just think of all of like a lot of people that you've been having on, like the other David that lives in Toronto. There would be good too. Oh, he lives in Peterborough. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he he has some good perspectives, and he's a little bit more left leaning, like even more left leaning. Right. He'd be good to reach out to. Yeah. Well, actually, that would be uh, that would be a good follow up. Um, yeah, to talk about. Um, to follow up to the episode yeah. with my mom about uh, gay rights mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's good. I'll jot that down and uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not plugging anything, but thought. I wouldn't mind coming back at some point. No. You know, I enjoyed this. Well, I'm going to get, I'm going to sit you down with Nathan, the two of you when I can uh, figure out, I mean, God, let's hope we can all get our, you know, I want to say inoculated or uh, the vaccine. That That's another topic. I, 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 Maybe we can hit that quicker. Do you have an opinion on yeah, getting I'm that? Considered, yeah, I just recently found out that I can get it now. So I'm going to. Great. You 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 only want the AstraZeneca one? I don't know. I, don't, I know the, I think that, I don't know the difference. I know there's two, right? There's like four at the moment, but the AstraZeneca, I guess the AstraZeneca one has got, has had some bad press about blood clots. So I was being facetious. Oh, oh I didn't know. I haven't been following it well enough. So. I think everybody, everybody's gearing for that Pfizer or Moderna. Yeah, that's the one. I believe that's the one we have in our community. So yeah, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. I, for one, will, uh, being surrounded by nurses and healthcare, am happy to plug the idea of getting a, a vaccine and, and um, um, I support them. I'm, I'm, I'm okay that. with it. I'm yeah. okay with it. You know, <laughs> yeah, you'll allow it. <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah. it's okay for me. And uh, I see it as, you know, there's so much talk of rights and, and whatnot, but there's a responsibility aspect there as well. Yeah. I guess that's where you would kind of, if we're discussing my outlook of autonomy and things like that, and this is a good, I guess, vaccinations is a good way to look at that. Cause you know, is it, is it somebody's right to not get a vaccine? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it is then, I guess my view would change, right? Cause then you look at the, the, uh, cause it's not just the person then, right. It's the community. Yeah. But I see it also as a, as an obligation to myself. I was hesitant. I was extremely hesitant about the idea, but now, um, my partner has received her first vaccine and, mm-hmm. and obviously that social circle is, you know, tends to be accepting of the idea of, of vaccines. And so sure. I've adopted that myself. Sure. Um, some of my colleagues and other people that I know don't, and there's an issue with, you know, where everyone's getting their information, different. Yeah. Different resort. Yeah, for sure. That, that's all part of the, the problem as well. But my point is that, um, um, you know, when we're all inoculated, I hope to do this in person and to get you and Nathan in a room uh, together would just be, you know, to get the three of us uh, sitting down at a table. I can just imagine uh, that, that'd be a long one, I guess. Yeah. That, would, that would be a funny one. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, that sounds good. So, something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm uh, I'm wishing you all the best, my friend. I um, it's been a long time, and we'll 
we'll, as we say every time, we'll uh, try to make it the the gaps fewer and further. Uh, what is it? What is what am I trying to say? I want to see yeah, you more sure. more often. Yeah, see me more. Yeah, that'd be good. God love you. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Sounds good, sir. Take care. All the best. Okay. Bye.